Everybody and welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I'm Andrea Renee, joined in studio by one Miss Christine Steimer. It me, hello. And Miss Brittany Brombacher is here. It me, hello. I'm hello, not there with ladies. you, sadly. You're my You're little not. parrot. You're not I, here with us, but you will be here with us next week, which is very exciting. Ah no. So um, we are pumped because the Patreon-exclusive streams are happening next week. So next Tuesday, January 21st. 21st. That's the day. Um, hold on. Let me just fix my... Brittany, I'm going to fix my microphone. You want to fill in the, the kids fill on in what's the happening? Fine folks about fill the in those fine kids with some knowledge between those ears. Yes. So next Tuesday, the 21st, we are having our Patreon-exclusive streams. This will be our Happy Hour Q&A, where all patrons can watch and ask us questions. And then we have our After Hour stream, where we... I think the plan is to finish playing Watom. I think oh god are we gonna oh oh yeah so so in addition to watan um which is hilarious and we should play my moms also gave me a video game trivia like oh no like tabletop game it's just basically just cards like trivia cards and i opened this up because i was like oh this is cute they think i'm a gamer girl and they got me a video game thing i bet you it's gonna be trash it's actually like the first three cards i pulled had a really great mix between retro knowledge and like modern video game knowledge like one of the games was from 2018 and the other game was from like 1999 Uh so i was like okay okay moms i see you so we can play that too that would be fun good okay (laughs) so those are some of the things we'll be doing on the 21st and also in case you missed it our life is strange 2 spoiler cast should now be live on all of your preferred podcast platforms and on youtube.com slash what's good games it's a meaty one. What, what was the final clock in time? Like two hours and yeah, it's just something. over two hours. Ooh. So I had to cut a couple of um, things from the video version um, that made it into the audio version. So the audio is five minutes longer. Oh. Bonus, bonus footage Ooh, bonus <laughs> if you listen content. to it. But I am very proud of the edit that I did on this interview. So in addition to our almost 90-minute long spoiler cast where we literally talk about everything, so again, spoilers, um, I sat down with um, Michelle Co and Jean-Luc Cano from the Dump Nod team, and that interview, also containing a lot of spoilers, is after our spoiler cast so it's one big meaty episode so hopefully you guys have played if you haven't please play the game is great thank you to square for hooking us up with copies of the game for sponsoring our party at pax west and for all around being a great publishing partner to work with so yeah check it out yeah it's a thing we did it is content. what's next that's it so I, I was got... just going to wait and see how long you guys could, oh, could go. Oh, I can't. No, I'm like, no. Awkward silence. Let's fill it. 
Um, so I do want to give a disclaimer that I've been recovering from bronchitis and I have a couple coughs in the spoiler cast and I might be coughing a little bit. This episode, I'll do my best to get away from the microphone. So please forgive me for my illness. Nobody um, will ever. No. Those one star reviews now. I'll, I'll live with your one star reviews <laughs> and my coughs. Um, we are going to PAX East, everybody. It's Yay. been officially confirmed that the What's Good Games Live panel is back at PAX East in Boston. It's going to um, be so cold. It is. We're not going to announce timing of the panel yet because they're still locking in all of the times. They're still subject to change for like the next like a week or so. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, but once we do have it locked in, I mean, like it's rare that they change, but I, I have been subject to panels moving um, theaters and moving time slots and days before, so... Um, but we are going to be at PAX. We will be doing a meet and greet right now. We're targeting around happy hour time on Friday, February 28th for the What's Good Games meetup. You do not need a PAX badge to attend the meetup. Um, and then we will, you know, let you guys know where that is and where, and where the panel is. But we hope to see you there. It's going to be great. And if all things go according to plan, we'll be selling an exclusive What's Good Games PAX East pin. But Bad put a pin in that. Oh. We're not ah, sure. That was a good sign. Yes. That was good. That was good. <laughs> I, see, I see what you did there. Uh-huh. Um, so mark your calendars. I do believe some tickets are still available. So maybe you want to check it that out. It is cold there. Thank you to this month's Patreon Nobody producers. wants to be cold there. <laughs> That's true. Chewy's godson, Alex Rogopoulos, Ferris Ate, Mohammed Mohammed, Marcus Brandt, and Robert Adams. And welcome to our Patreon community. Britt, can you read this list for me? I can. James, Rob McCann, Zalibor Domofsky, Unbreakable Tom, Fernando Macedo, Benjamin Kitcherside, Flying Cosmo, Jeffrey Stemmen, Matt Johns, Marie Uk-Otter, 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 James Dashnier, Alec Bobko, Alexandre David, Mr. Trigglesworth, Mindy Tang, Ashley, Elliot Minor, Bang Zoom Pow, Pepper nice. Oni, and Joshua Trim. <laughs> <laughs> Pepper Oni, I like That's it. That's a good name. It's a good name. Um, thank you so much to everybody for supporting us at Patreon.com/slash What's Good Games. It's because of your support that we're able to have the new studio that we're recording in. That we're able to go to shows to meet you guys and do community events. And we're so excited that so many of you have joined us, and we've got lots of fun things in store for 2020. So hopefully, you enjoy. The content that we're bringing to your eyeballs. Eyeballs and, and ear holes. And also like, thank you, Sasha McMurray and J-Bob for reviewing us on iTunes. Yeah. Oh, Those yes. Those people. Those chart numbers really make a difference for us, you guys. So it's so important. I know we've been saying this every week, but if you cannot support the show financially, we 100% understand. We would love if you could support us with a little bit of your time by going to your favorite uh, podcast service and leaving us a five-star review with a couple words about how you like listening to the show or what you what you love about it. That'd be great. That would make us feel real nice. All right, so this week is a little bit light on news, but we got we got a few zingers. We got in a, there. yeah, some spicy ones. So um, might not be a lot in qua- uh, quantity, but makes up for it in quality, I would mm. say. So let's get into the news. And this is where I tell you that the news this week is brought to you by Bombas. Working out is hard. Listen, you guys, it's always been hard. Like, there's no denying that. Even when it's easy, it's still pretty hard to work out. Bomba socks, though, can't change that. We're not here to tell you that they can. Spoilers, they can't make working out easier. But 
that can definitely make it more comfortable. So if your resolution is to get fit this year, start by getting socks that can keep up every step of the way. So all three of us have been wearing different kinds of Bombas for a couple of months now. And Steimer, you were saying you have one of their athletic socks and you like working out because it's got the little... What, what do you call that thing on the back? A little tabby. Like a tab on the back yeah. of the sock? Mm-hmm. But not only that, I do think that they are an appropriate level of thickness, which sounds stupid maybe, but no, I it's sort of it. like Goldilocks, like, right? So mm-hmm. I've had mm-hmm. socks that are just a little too thick and you feel like you're wearing winter socks to yeah. the gym, which is a little odd. And then you have the too thin socks, which are slippery, and they make your athletic shoes slippery. And then you feel like your foot's sliding around the shoes, even if they're the correct size. It mm-hmm. doesn't make, it's not good. No bueno. But Bombas do not do that for me. They're like... Thick enough where your foot feels supported, but then thin enough where you don't feel like you're going to sweat just because you're in a thick sock. <laughs> Listen, sock thickness is the thing that you didn't know you needed in your life. It's true. Now, we all do a lot of different things to stay active, and so Bombas has made a lot of different kinds of performance socks designed for everything from running to hiking to cycling and more. Now, whether you're very into sports or planning on getting into very or planning on getting very into sports, listen, we've all got our own resolutions. <laughs> Bombas can help with performance socks and styles made specially for basketball, tennis, running, golf, and more. Plus, they're made with a lightweight polycotton blend, which means no matter how hard you're working, your feet will stay cool, dry, and comfortable, never sweaty. Bombas socks provide support in places you didn't even know you needed, like your arches. Each sock is built with a special arch support system that's supportive, but not too tight, like a nice hug, but on your foot. A foot hug. Foot hugs are great. (laughs) Constantly pausing your treadmill to adjust twisted, bunched-up socks is enough to make anyone ready to quit. And that's why Bombas designed are designed with left-right contouring and a Y-stitched heel so they stay perfectly in place. So no more excuses. Ever notice that annoying toe seam that most socks have? That little ridge across the top? You guys know what I'm talking about. Yes. Well, Bombas said, get out of here. We don't want you. Gun. Gun? Gone. Gone? That's the word. Dunzo. Uh, so very aggressive. It's just gone. I know. I just hate those scenes, you know. They really... Gun! Grind your gears. They really grind my gears. Exactly. You guys, it's just smooth sailing all the way across the top of your foot. Now, did you know that the socks are the number one most requested item in homeless shelters? Bombas socks were created to change that. For every pair that you buy, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. So not only do your feet get to feel good and have hugs, but other people's feet that are in need also get to feel good and have hugs. Hugs all around. To make sure everyone's feet gets a hug, you got to go to bombus.com slash what's good today and get 20% off your first purchase. That is an awesome deal at B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash what's good for 20% off bombus.com slash what's good. Their no-show socks are my personal favorite. Just wanted to add that in there. Okay. Brittany, mm. will you please kick off the news? Oh my god, PlayStation will not participate in E3 2020. This you can't sit with us! You oh. can't sit with us! No, this comes from GameIndustry.biz, who got a hell of a scoop, so props to them. So, I'm going to move your pretty faces off my computer so I can see the document. PlayStation will miss E3 for a second year in a row. The firm told GameIndustry.biz that it does not feel the vision for the event is right for what it has planned for this year. Instead, it will attend hundreds of consumer events to showcase upcoming games for PS4 and PS5. Quote, after thorough evaluation, SIE has decided not to participate in E3 2020, said a Sony Interactive Entertainment spokesperson. We have great respect for the ESA as an organization, but we do not feel the vision of E3 2020 is the right venue for what we were focused on this year. 
quote, we will build upon our global event strategy in 2020 by participating in hundreds of consumer events across the globe. Our focus is on making sure fans feel part of the PlayStation family and have access to play their favorite content. We have a fantastic lineup of titles coming to PlayStation 4, and with the upcoming launch of PlayStation 5, we are truly looking forward to a year of celebration with our fans. PlayStation has used E3 as the place to unveil details of its next console since the very beginning, attending the first E3 in 1995 to detail the U.S. launch of the original PlayStation. The company's success at E3 2013 was viewed as a major moment in the build-up to PS4, which resulted in Sony reclaiming its market leadership from Xbox. However, E3 organizer the ESA has struggled to satisfy all of its members who have been split over what they want the show to be. Some publishers, such as EA and Sony, want to see E3 become a fan celebration of games, whereas others would rather the event remain an industry-focused affair. The ESA has tried to satisfy both groups by... Did I just read that? No, did not. We'll just skip that last sentence anyway. It's, it's reductive. Yeah. All right. And then real quick, after this went live, the ESA released a statement called ESA Statement on Sony E3 2020 <laughs> Announcement. And this is at, so from the actual website. Titled. <clears throat> E3 is a sign. Okay, I'm not going to read it like that. Yeah, don't read it like that. <laughs> E3 is a signature event celebrating the video game industry and showcasing the people, brands, and innovations redefining entertainment loved by billions of people around the world. E3 2020 will be an exciting, high energy show featuring new experiences, partners, exhibitor spaces, activations, and programming that will entertain new and veteran attendees alike. Exhibitor interest in our new activations is gaining the attention of brands that view E3 as a key opportunity to connect with video game fans worldwide. And then one more piece of this, then we can talk about it. Phil Spencer. (laughs) Phil Spencer does a tweet. Our team is hard at work on E3. We look forward to sharing with all... With all who love to play, what's ahead for us? Wait, did I fuck that up? We look forward no, to all sharing who love with to play. all who love to play, what's ahead for us. Whatever. So he he grammatically phrased that wrong. I think what he means to say, we look forward to sharing what's ahead for us with all who love to play. Okay, you that know makes what? Sense. You can't you, edit tweets, everybody. You read these stories and you're like, huh? <laughs> Our art form has consistently been propelled by the cross-section of creativity and technical progress. 2020 is a milestone year in that journey for Team Xbox. Hashtag Xbox E3. Hashtag E3 2020. Well, there's no reason for e- for Xbox to leave E3 now that PlayStation's not there. Because yeah. they're the big dog of the show. They're exactly. like, thank you kindly for bowing out. It means that it's like your rival at the party leaves and then you're like the bell of the ball. It's great. Well, and they had been waiting for several years after the Microsoft Theater opened to get that space back. So I had this conversation with some people from the Xbox team last year about, you know, why such a heavy presence outside of the convention I, you know they had the mixer dome in chicken court they had the microsoft theater where they were doing showcases you had to go through a whole separate security line get a separate badge and it seemed like it would be an inconvenience for a lot of people who buy like a gamer badge to e3 to go over there to see games but of course their name is right on the theater but the reason why they didn't do it sooner is because apparently the microsoft theater was booked out so many years in advance during the week of e3 that even Microsoft's own Xbox division <laughs> couldn't override Hilarious. that it was booked out. And so now they were like, but we are, but we are, we, we are, are the Microsoft. <laughs> so now they have, you know, they have opportunity. And so I, I imagine from here on out, even though Xbox will be at E3, like air Quote quotes. Unquote, yeah. They'll, they'll be they'll, at, in their own space. Yeah. They will continue to be outside the actual convention. Together. Center. 
but separately. Yeah, there you exactly. Go. Yes. Steimer's motto for life. Mm, yeah, that, it really <clears throat> truly is. Um, so this actually, I mean, part of me is like, of course, we could have predicted based off how they responded last year to withdrawing that they weren't going to. But I think a lot of us were holding out hope that that was like a one-time thing where they were just trying to save some money um, by not paying the crazy fees to the unions to be on the show floor. And that, oh, they've got PS5 coming. They have to be at the biggest consumer video game show in the world. Like, why wouldn't they? And, like, this to me is actually quite shocking. And I, th- I honestly think that this is a bad move. So I did some quick math while you were reading, Brittany. To be at hundreds, let's just call it 100, well, just an even 100 events throughout the year, they would have to be going to two consumer events a week from now until the end of the year. To hit just one, just 100. And then that wouldn't even get them there. They would have to technically be doing a little bit more than that. My to, to actually assumption get is that's just PR fluff. And what they'll probably do is have little kiosks set up throughout some stores or something. Right? And call They're that like, an We're event. in this grocery store. Because I saw way. that number too. And I was there like, was, okay, oh, wait. There's 52 there w- weeks a year. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. That's my guess is that's what's going to happen. One of the weirdest things I saw on my three weeks of travel was we were in... Shit, which airport was this? I want to say it was Milan. A ran or it's like oh, maybe it was on the way to Milan. There was like this random PlayStation kiosk in the middle of the airport. What? Like in like in a terminal that was downstairs by like one of those terminals where you have to take a bus to like uh-huh. get to the plane. And we Jackie and I were just like, is this really a PlayStation terminal? Like they just had a marketing kiosk in a terminal <laughs> that you would never find. So maybe that's what they mean by hundreds of consumers. I mean, like, I'm like PS5. If- if that's what they mean, that's crazy because the whole reason you do tentpole events like E3 is because you have a highly trained force of media and influencers and content creators who understand the space that can accurately communicate the technology to their fan base. If you just have a kiosk, first off, they're never going to put their brand new tech inside a kiosk where it can get stolen, right? They also oh, yeah, can't yet. afford to make prototypes or demo builds for hundreds of kiosks around the world. But also, like, I, I think that they're missing the kind of pop, pomp and circumstance this, that they really capitalized on an E3 for decades. Like, it's, I just kind of scratch my head and go, what the heck is going on at PlayStation? I, don't, I think that this means that they saw <coughs> not attending E3 last year really didn't hurt them very badly. And I know that this is a big year in terms of, like, PS5 coming out. But I think what they'll do is combine sort of what they did last year when they had their own reveal event for the console itself and maybe mix in a little of that old PSX action <laughs> and make something that feels more fan-centric versus E3, which I do think right now is kind of in a weird identity crisis. Mm-hmm. And it's trying to be the best of both worlds and kind of failing at both. Um it needs to pick. It needs to pick a lane. Pick a lane, Karen. <laughs> pick a no. lane and go for it and do that thing well. But when you try to do both things at once, you're usually not going to succeed. Um, but so I'm curious to see what event they will come up with themselves, and I'm excited to see it. And I, again, I do think that this, this is great news for Phil Spencer and his team. Um, and th- it's not like PlayStation Five won't be anywhere at this conference because third parties will probably cover them in in a certain to a certain extent. Um, and maybe that's kind of what they're banking on in terms of getting any fan uh, crossover there. It's just like, well, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, or whatever. Kinda like our other partners will have stuff there. Yeah. It'll help 
Um, so it's not like if you are a PlayStation fan going to E3, there's absolutely nothing for you. Right. Um, but they themselves are probably going to, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do, but they're gonna do I think it'll be, I think, I think we may see that Zambi, Zambi PSX rise up. Zambi. I would love that. Zambi. Yeah. As a, as a fan, it's disappointing. I tweeted about this back in the day. I know you ladies remember this when you would have all the press conferences, you'd have Nintendo's. Then you'd have PlayStations, and that was kind of the conference to kind of end off everything. They'd have the big pre-parties, and those were always so much fun. Yeah, Back oh. when people just blew marketing budgets for no reason. I know, right? No one was lore, looking at ROI. Thanks they for were the- just like, this is fun. Yep. And I'm the marketing director, and I want to have fun. Oh, <laughs> it was so party. fun. Yeah, PlayStation has been the most profitable division of Sony Global for a long time, and like that so doesn't like, mean that E three is not like E three is an expensive right, show. No, but like I'm not saying it's not expensive, but I'm saying the spend is justified because they make it back, right? And Except, like, can you imagine though if you're cutting back on those costs and still making the same amount of money? Right? Why would you start spending that again? No, and I think that's what's troublesome about about it is because it's not a straight one to one comparison. Like I think. There's absolutely an argument to be made that this is not going to hurt Sony. That Sony will walk on and be fine because they had such a successful generation with the PlayStation 4 that they can skip E3 and the marketing trend that is E3 and then and be fine. But it sets a really scary precedence that a lot of other people on social media and stuff that are commenting on. Not the precedence, but like this idea that does this make the ESA and E3 irrelevant if Sony can say, we don't need you, we can do this all on our own. And I say, no, it doesn't, because there are literally hundreds of other publishers that need the marketing behemoth right. that is E3. Yeah, not know? everybody, not most of those companies <laughs> don't have the capabilities that, honestly, Xbox could leave too if they really wanted to, but I don't think it makes sense for them now that PlayStation's no. gone. <laughs> um, but most, most companies don't have the ability to do what PlayStation now has is comfortable doing right they granted to varying degrees of success have thrown their own convention a few years in a row they kind of would would know how to do it um this time and i think this makes sense for them to do quite honestly like if you're going to spend that kind of money you may as well do it where you personally like you as the company can recoup the cost by selling Mm -hmm. your own tickets uh and then also making it look like you are just the best best friend in the world to your fans right like you're like don't you want to come see all this stuff? we're going to show you first personally right like you playstation fan we're talking to you we're not talking mm-hmm. to the press who like always get wined and dined and yes it's been very nice it's been great uh i'm gonna miss those days they were really but i had you know i had my heyday it's fine i'm old now we're good um but, like i can definitely see this absolutely 100 working for them not and and doing really well for them. Again, if they're doing what I think they're going to do in my head. I have no idea if they actually are. It's yeah. interesting that you say that because when I think about influencer and fan programs, I just think Xbox has been crushing it in that department. I think even if you look at the press conferences from when Sony was at E3, Xbox was the first to say we're going to front load our press conference with fans in the first like 25 rows or whatever. These are like Xbox ambassadors and people who have oh, been, yeah, the ambassador you know, representing the brand and like love the brand and want to be part of the Xbox community. Whereas Sony, I think, has kind of been in their walled garden for a while. And oh, absolutely. And I don't know if that's going to change. And I think that I think honestly, it fundamentally has to do with the company that's being run out of Japan versus a company that's being run out of Redmond. So I think that just philosophically, they run their businesses very differently. And it will be interesting. Someone who to has see. worked well tangentially for Microsoft. 
very directly for PlayStation. Can confirm. Run very differently. <laughs> um, as anybody who's worked at both companies will say, um, it's just, it'll be interesting to watch. And I know we say that a lot on the show, like, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But, I mean, I'm skeptical. I mean, I'm our skeptical. crystal ball stopped working a long time ago. <laughs> we can only make an That's educated true. guess. I'm yeah. just disappointed more than anything. Yeah, and I'm that's what I was bummed. saying earlier is I'm just disappointed as a fan, but like you both covered everything that I wanted to say. Yeah, I. why? What's the point of it? I mean, there are companies out there that do need E3 because it is like a super duper hype moment, but Sony is in a position where they can do their own thing. And like Simon said, why put money into something? you know if you don't need to and i mean that's the reason why nintendo completely stopped their press conferences right like why am i spending a million dollars funding a press conference when i can probably pay you know less than a hundred thousand dollars and make this video that is doing the exact same thing exactly yeah and they can do that they ain't scared and like you said it's great for microsoft kind of works out for both parties good job friends um the other thing that I saw people bringing up was that in e3 2013 sony did a reveal event and then they also went to e3 and so that's like the main counter I've seen as to, well, Sony, you know, they did this back in 2013, but again, I think that was a different time. I think, you know, press Well, that's what I was saying. I was but, yeah. saying how like, yeah, they did their own reveal event and then, you know, I can't remember. It, was, it wasn't that year, but whenever you're like a year or two later when they did PSX, that's what I think what they're probably going to do is some sort of combined, combined the forces and have combined. it be like a reveal event, but also sort of a PlayStation experience where... It's mostly fan, or they say it's fan-driven. They will obviously invite press. like, But Mm -hmm. try and make it feel to average Joe Schmo like, oh, my God, PlayStation loves me and wants me to see this first. Well, I mean, they've done, they did a really successful job with that with PSX in the past, and I loved going to PSX. The the first and second years of PSX, the press conferences they did, like the media conference was amazing. They were phenomenal. This last year, the last year of PSX was kind of like borked, right? Like, I think that, I mean, that's part of why they ended up killing Mm -hmm. it, right? They were like, oh, oh my God, it's really hard to try and pull off two major press conferences of the year where like every, like you have this many hype announcements because you have to all the fucking deals you have to try and sign to make those things happen. Woo. Um, so I don't blame them for cutting that off. I think it's smart. I think that's part of why I'm inclined to say if they're canceling E3, that means they have something else up their sleeve. It's going to be more PSX and it's going to be more PSX of old, like the very, very hype, like mm-hmm. one yeah. to two years, like where they were announcing really cool things and people were just freaking out. And it was sort of that original energy you got from an E3 press conference um, <laughs> that still fairly much there but like yeah, dwindles a little bit every year of course yeah and you know sony's they know what they're doing there's a reason they're top dog right now they're not gonna just let microsoft make their announcement well at you E3, know sometimes right? they and well sometimes they whip it and not have like a rebuttal right they're gonna have events planned throughout the year but they know what they're doing that's why i'm inclined to believe you too simers but yeah they're gonna have some fun events going on um jason shire tweeted out something when this broke soon after he said, one juicy tidbit I heard last year was that Sony's main reason for skipping E3 was disagreement, tension, conflict with the ESA, which is likely the driving factor here as well. And as a little refresher, I think this was back in September, um, our friends at GameDaily.biz, they, the ESA, it was a leaked E3 deck, right? Of like that new direction they're going in. It was a pitch deck. And this is a little brief reminder of what E3 2020 might look like. They want to tap into influencers and paid celebrity deals, like having the L.A. Lakers oh, play a basketball yes, I, game. I remember this, yeah. Yep. Oh, they want yes. to have eight experience hubs spread throughout the traditional booths. They want to create, quote, exclusive appointment-only activations for select attendees 
who will create buzz and FOMO. ESA approved increasing uh, yes, the amount of FOMO. gamer badges by 10,000, which will bring the amount of consumers to 25,000. There was the possibility of an industry-only day on Tuesday, digital lines, and then cutainments. And then there was the idea like of Disneyland. E3, Disneyland. E3 digital game ticket, which will basically give people, if it worked in their own perfect world, access to game demos time the behind closed doors demos right that uh-huh. to me is the smartest thing of that whole deck the the industry only day and the the digital ticket to allow people to watch the presentations honestly like i mean it might be a, a deterrent uh for some people because they're like well why would i even buy a ticket when i can just watch all the demos from home but i guess the idea is that you watch the demo and you get to play the game if you're on the show floor and you don't get yeah. to play it if you're at home mm-hmm. um but i mean that also, not everyone can afford to travel but if it's like a 15 dollars ticket well right. how much is isn't the blizzard the digital blizzard ticket more. like 50 I bucks i was about to say it's probably actually more like 50 60 and yeah so I, I think that they is- could Oh, no, sorry, you're talking about digital tickets. I thought you were talking about, like, actual digital tickets. No, the gamer passes are, like, 250 or something crazy crazy. for all three days. I don't know if they sell. Do they sell individual days? I don't know. No idea. No clue. But, yeah, it's an easily searchable thing. But we're not here to talk about The Google machine can tell you. Yes. Um, I think we've, um, I think we've you know, gone around the horn on this topic. Set our piece around the horn. Quite a bit. Uh, there will be more to say because E3 is just five months away. Oh, yeah. Um, four months? Four months. No, it's not. <clears throat> yeah. It's not correct. Uh, to February, March, April, May. Four and a half. Five months. Yeah. So like, less than five months away. My birthday's in four months. Uh, hey. Brittany's birthday's in four months, too. Uh, hey. All right. Steimer, you want to read this one? Sure. Slide it on over. Oh, right. So Brittany can dance or do whatever she wants okay. to do. Okay. I'm not happy Brittany, about this news. Yeah, this but... is not. This is going to be a sad oh, dance. Oh, yeah, that's right. What's like, mm. It's like the rain dance or whatever. I don't know. Something where you, it's not a happy dance, but you need it. Okay. What's Final a sad Fantasy dance? VII Remake and Marvel's event. <laughs> this says Adventures, which is hilarious. Oh, yeah. It's supposed to be Avengers. My bad. Avengers uh, have been delayed. So this is a message from the Final Fantasy VII Remake development team from SquareNixGamescott.com. Uh, square dash enix dash Come on, get it right below is a message from the development team we know that so many of you are looking forward to the release of final fantasy 7 remake so no, i'm just kidding i was gonna go off script but i should actually just read it <laughs> verbatim <laughs> and have been waiting patiently to experience what we have been working on in order to ensure we deliver a game that is in line with our vision and the quality that our fans who have been waiting for deserve we've decided to move the release date to april 10th 2020 We are making this tough decision in order to give ourselves a few extra weeks to apply final polish to the game and to deliver uh, you with the best possible experience. I, on behalf of the whole team, want to apologize to everyone as I know this means waiting for the game just a little bit longer. Thank you for your patience and continued support. Yoshinora Kitase, Mm -hmm. producer of Final Fantasy VII Remake. So, yep, it is now uh, April 10th. 2020. Mm-hmm. I love that it's the year 2020 just because it's kind of fun, right? This is Barbara Walters for 2020. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Wait, you weren't a Barbara Walters watcher? <laughs> no, I was, but I would say it's kind of fun that it's you were. I don't think you ever watched Barbara Walters. 2020. It's cool. It. But then she dropped her adult like knowledge on me and then. All right, and now for uh, for the other sad squirrel of the day, uh, Marvel <sighs> Avengers also got an update to our fans. Wait, what? Oh, it's a blog post. It's a blog post. Got it, got it. Mm -hmm. I was like, the way this is formatted is slightly odd. Um, At Crystal Dynamics, our ambition has always been to deliver the ultimate adventures gaming experience. 
In order to achieve that goal, we have made the difficult decision to move the release date of Marvel's Avengers to September 4th, 2020. As fans ourselves, it's an honor and a privilege to work with these legendary characters, and we know what these superheroes mean to us and true believers around the world. It's true. Wow. True believers is capitalized. Is that really like, do people call themselves that? Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a thing. I didn't uh, know that. Today uh, I learned. Uh, when we set out to bring you our vision for Marvel's Avengers, we committed to delivering an original story-driven campaign, engaging co-op, and compelling content for years to come. To that end, we will spend this additional development time focusing on fine-tuning and polishing the game to the highest standards our fans expect and deserve. These, these messages sound very similar. Uh, the worldwide <laughs> teams working on Marvel's Avengers sincerely appreciate the support you've shown us. We thrive on your enthusiasm and feedback, and we cannot wait to show you more. We apologize for the delay. We're confident it will be worth the wait. And that is from Scott Amos and Ron Rosenberg, co-heads of the studio Crystal Dynamics. Oh. So that's a little bit of a sad trombone. But also, like, yes and no, because it's always... Right. I'm fine, right? Like, if you need the time, take the time. It's better than releasing something that... You are you as like if you're putting your art onto the world, you kind of want to feel like it's in a good place before people get their hands on it. Yeah, right. um, so I'm glad that, that both the publishing teams, uh, uh, you know, Square, I guess, because it's both of them, um, is comfortable enough to allow them to have that extra time, right? It's yeah. Like, okay. Of course. We know we said this one thing, and we're gonna, you know, we gotta do we gotta do the video game trope now. Just we go are ahead and delay it. no strangers to the delays. Video no, we games. are not. We are very familiar will, with all of it. We will be but here inter- for you whenever you come. The interesting part about the delay of Final Fantasy VII is that now uh, it was going to release in Square's final fiscal quarter of the year. So it's just kind of like an extra little interesting thing. It was going to release, so I'm sure you know their projections and stuff are not going to be way off because this game is not going to make that fiscal quarter, that fiscal year. So it's kind of like okay, but you know, good for you for still postponing it. Fuck the investors. Just give us a good game. <laughs> I mean, they'll still, yeah. It's just, it's just. You'll get your money from Calm one down, to another. But... So, but yeah, I mean, that's what a, a lot of uh, video games they'll they'll try to do. They're always like, how can we squeeze this in to make it to the last fiscal year of whatever year we need it to be? So many that's why a lot of like the March games. April dates. Yeah. Very finessed. Yeah. yeah, and then you look at April 2020, and you're like, oh my god, we got RE3 Nemesis on the third, Final Fantasy VII on the tenth, Cyberpunk on the sixteenth. I'm excited for Trials of Man on the 24th, but I have a feeling that game won't be touched till the next decade that, anyway. Yeah, that that poor game is. I'm so yeah, sorry for releasing you. into a very bad. I think landscape. when you look at both of these delays, the delay for a little extra polish, sure, I think that's smart. You don't want to launch a broken game that's buggy, and if you just need a couple of weeks, like bite the bullet, make the call. The more troublesome delay is Marvel's Avengers, because as you recall, this is already an additional delay was supposed to come out this year in 2019. And then they pushed to May 2020 and now they're in September. But honestly, it was smart of them to get out of May and get out of that, that kind of like (laughs) black hole of all of these other triple A's that are coming out in that time zone, especially with last of us. Not Mm. only that, but as we have often mentioned on the show, people forget about games from the first half of the year. Mm -hmm. So like bumping them down there, if it turns out well, Gives them a much greater chance for like end of year end of year nominations. True, and it sets them up to be able to be you know on the new generation of consoles if yep. they're going to make it cross gen, which I have to imagine they're oh, going yeah. to. Right, so I think that's well, actually better help. for them. I yeah, mean, you have to you have to assume that almost every AAA that's coming out this year is going to be cross gen, but 
we've heard very specific, like, this game is for PlayStation 4. This game is for Xbox One. You know, um, I would love to see... Cause the one thing I never really got a lot of experience with firsthand is picking pick and release windows. <laughs> and I, I just want to be like, can you not... I mean, how much do you pad it, right? Like, I, yeah. I want to know, when they picked the first date, were they like, yeah, this is... How much padding did they think that they had back then? Mm. That's what I want to know, right? You know? See, this, See where is, I'm going? this is why we need to get our friend Gio Corsi back on the show. Yeah. He, could, he could tell some things. Also, big congratulations to Gio on his big announcement this week. He is the chief product officer at Ilphonic. They, of course, are going to be publishing Predator very shortly. I'm excited to play that game. Um, I actually had him in the studio, just as a quick aside, when we first opened it. And we shot something, but it was rife with technical problems because, you know, it was the first, it was first, the first recording. Um, and I, I managed to fix the audio. The video is just, it's borked. Um, so we might release that on Patreon as like a lost episode of me and Gio. But <laughs> the um, I, I called him and said, hey, Gio, can you come back down? I, w- I want you two to be here. And, and he was like, of course, whenever we can make it work, sounds great. So, but we just want to give Gio a big shout out and congratulations. Very happy that you're over at Elphonics. That's a great team of folks. And um, the microphone is waiting for you, Gio. Oh. Come back and visit. Come back and say hi. That's interesting thought, though, Steimer. It makes you think about Final Fantasy VII. Like, they gave themselves to the very end to make the fiscal quarter, right? And now that it's being delayed by a month, they're not going to make it. It's like, well, maybe more padding. Yeah. would have been great. Some little, like, cushion, maybe a couple pillows on either side of that project. You know, just Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, because the uh, other... The one option is like they don't pat it enough and they're like, oh, whoops, the daisy. Yeah. Uh, and the other option is like that they just hit so many bugs or so many issues during development that the padding that they thought they had whew, like went out the window immediately. Hmm. Um, and so I would just, I mean, I'm sure both teams, are, it's different circumstances, but I, I'm always curious cat. Yeah. This is what's so interesting to me, not only in, on one hand, looking at it through the lens of entertainment and looking at the different mediums within it and how different it is from like a television or mm. fi- feature film release where they very often don't have, you know, these kind of catastrophic problems and then they have to delay. I, to this day, I've, I can't recall ever hearing a movie change their release date because of technical problems. Sonic had to redesign. <laughs> well, that was more of a fan outcry. <gasps> I mean, it's sort of a technical problem. Look at his face. It would have been, yeah, I'll say that would have been more no, than a technical I agree. problem. I mean, I think the thing but with that's the, Cats that's the, was like the most, the, the only time I've ever heard of a movie getting patched. Yes, like that was fix. hilarious. I was like, um, oh my wait, God. Wait, they patched it? They yeah, patched they, Cats, they set yeah. out a new version of the movie because the original, the CGI was so bad. Like, Giving people nightmares. faces were sliding around. Turns out the version I saw, I couldn't tell if it was new or not. If it was that new. That was the new version. It, it was still bad. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> there was still- Apparently it was way worse because I talked to Carboni about this. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. No, and he's like, no. yeah, no, it, they were way slidier like in within the. So the Cats <laughs> movie, they had like the ears and the weird head bit and then they just Human superimposed face. their face on it. Their face sometimes just goes where it shouldn't be. It's just, it's just, well, that's what happens if you don't have a little slippery act, when in you there. don't have actors in bodysuits, right? Oh, like you, no. you get you get this weird CG uncanny valley that's happening. Yeah, apparently they um oh god didn't mocap it properly or at all possibly. I'm not sure which because I didn't hundred million dollars apparently not enough to. They do were the like, right we'll hand animate this. I'm like. Why? Why would you do that to those poor animators? Sounds like a bad idea. Um, But the thing I was going to mention um, 
because we were talking about... You don't about... want to turn this into a cat's podcast? <laughs> I'm <laughs> no, very curious, Kat. <laughs> I was talking about delaying a, delaying a release date. I said, on one hand, looking at it through the lens of entertainment. And then the other hand, <clears throat> what my, the point I was going to make was, I think what's interesting is where these release dates and slippages are going to go in the wake of technology that's going to make publishing faster than ever. So I think about that in the terms of Google Stadia and everything that they are promising for developers on the back end. This idea that a developer like Square Enix can take their build of Final Fantasy VII Remake and be tinkering and fixing and polishing up until the last, like, what I would say 72 hours before a launch, hypothetically, if they're not concerned about review copies. And they can like push the build to the Stadia servers because they don't have to ship a disc and then they can keep working and then maybe that would give them a couple of extra weeks they need without having to worry about going through certification, which is the time they have to pad in, right? Yeah. So Because certification generally takes, what, four to five weeks? Yep, a little over a month. And so like that that right there, if they didn't have to go through the certification process, maybe they could have maintained their original release date. Yeah, but then... You know, there's lots of people who wouldn't be buying this game. No, I know. And that's the thing. That's the thing I think yeah, is until, interesting starting with this generation going forward totally. of like, yeah. wouldn't it be awesome to relieve some pressure from development teams knowing that they don't have to worry about the certification window, that they can keep working for those couple of weeks up until launch and then they can maintain and we won't have to see these constant slippages. It's like, mm. it's, it's almost like expected at this point for a game to slip. Yeah. That's a wild world to live in. I mean, it feels like anytime anyone announces a release date, I always look at that as the first draft. <laughs> Just like, it's true. Sure. Yeah, okay. You go ahead. Say it's then. If it makes you sleep at night, you go right ahead. And I always know it's going to change at least once, if it's AAA, um, and possibly twice. Unless it's doing the old Fallout maneuver, which was like, well, this game is basically done. So, yeah, it's going to be this date. We just announced it super late. Um, so I think it just depends on the publisher and what they're... Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's dangerous to announce your game too early at this point because we you just do see this. You see this a lot. All this is a lot of, of we announced this game entirely too early and we just have literally no idea when it's going to be done because that's how game development works. And thankfully, it is just a crapshoot. That's the route RE3 went that... It's almost done. It's like 90% done. And they just announced it. What was like last month? Because yep. a lot of people are like, oh my God, it's going to be delayed now. Ah. But they've said it's 90% done. There's no way it's delayed. Thank you. One game's not going to Thank delay. you and good night. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's the, the, those are the two routes that a game goes really is. Mm-hmm. Either it's announced to the point where the dev team really couldn't tell you um, when it's when it could come out or the game is basically done and we've announced it and now we, we absolutely know and it's going to be this date. Word. Um, <coughs> pardon yep. me, I cough. Yes. Brittany. Yes. Would you like to read the next story? Uh, yes. Okay. Oh my God. Okay. So super Nintendo world to focus on interactive experiences. <gasps> this comes from game ministry. Biz. Universal Studios has come forward with more details about the Super Nintendo World area opening up at its Osaka theme park this summer, saying the park will focus on physical and interactive experiences. Super Nintendo World will include rides, shops, a restaurant, a restaurant, a singular Only restaurant. Only one, one, just one restaurant. The line's this is like the be beginning atrocious. of when you build like a roller coaster tycoon. <laughs> like a theme like, park I can afford or one restaurant here. <laughs> yeah. Before and I'll wait to get a hot dog. Yeah. 
and interactive gameplay, all themed around Nintendo properties, particularly Mario. Attendees will receive a wristband that, combined with a phone app, will allow them to collect coins and character stamps as they travel throughout the park. In addition, the wristband and app can be used to complete key challenges that will lead to working together with other attendees and boss battles. Further details about these experiences were not given. Quote, think of Super Nintendo World as a life-size living video game where you become one of the characters, said Universal Creative CCO Theory Coop. Quote, you're not just playing the game, you're living the game, you're living an adventure. I feel like we need dramatic music playing right now. Nintendo's most iconic locations and experiences will be brought to life, including Mushroom Kingdom, Peach's Castle, an incredible Mario Kart ride, Bowser's Castle, and more. I feel like that person's name is Terry, by Terry the way. Terry Koo. Yeah. Terry. I was like, Theory? I've never seen Terry. I was like, that's an interesting name. Yeah, Spelled with a T. All right. All good. Uh, Super Nintendo World is planned to open in the Osaka Universal Studios location in time for the Summer 2020 Olympics. The Singapore and both United States Universal Studios parks are planning to follow suit with their own Super Nintendo Worlds in the future. Neat. Think- when are we going to Osaka? Dude, I know. Now, in. Once it opens. Yeah. Yeah. We're let the crowds die down for the first couple of months, and then we can go. Um, actually that works if we wanted to like do tgs this year because then we do tgs and we can go to osaka after i would shit my pants with excitement you andrea i feel like it was an episode maybe some of you're on this but i feel like it was just andrea and i when we talked about this and there was like one or two rides that are confirmed yeah no i remember this were you okay i I was definitely on it because i remember when we read them and i was like seems like you may need more than this. <laughs> a restaurant. Hey, da, da. Yeah, it's, a restaurant. It's, two rides that sound like real rides. Yeah. it's. I think this is really cool. I saw a video of someone using the wristband. So they have six different wristbands. I think it's Mario, Luigi, Toad, Peach, Daisy, and maybe one more. I'm not sure. They're like one. the Disney magic band. Yeah. And you wear it and you work with – you use your app and you do things with it. Um, there is a – there's question blocks and they had meet members of the press just like jumping up and like hitting it with their hand and then it would like sink something. And I just thought that was so cool. But then I'm also thinking to myself, you have to like literally punch it. Someone's it's not, that's not going to end well. Cause you're going to get some dummy who just hits it so hard and breaks their hand. And then they're going to be, like, I'm assuming it's made of foam. Made, uh, probably made of foam. I don't care. Someone's going to hurt themselves somehow. I mean, but, it's a theme park. I mean, of course someone is like, going to hurt themselves. The only way they would hurt themselves is if they like slip on the, on the descent. <laughs> Which they definitely did. <laughs> on their way down. It's not going like, to be good. Oh, God, I twisted my ankle. Oh, I'm really shitty at Mario. Um, also, I don't know who it was, but it was someone in charge of the Super Mario. Super Nintendo Land said that other properties or other IPs are being considered. So it's not just probably going to be a Mario thing. It would be How cool are they to get not going to do like a fucking Zelda maze or something? Yeah, like you Zelda know. Zelda ride. What if it was a corn maze? <laughs> And sell the corn you maze. Take no. a little little sword and yeah, just whack down bits. Like, oh, that'd be cool. And like money pops don't, out. No, don't give don't give people swords. Um, but I want it, them. it would be fun if they did like a. What if they did like a? <clears throat> excuse me. Is it called the Forbidden Forest? Oh, the Lost Woods. The that Lost would be cool. Woods. Yeah, like a maze. Yeah, like do like a Lost Woods maze where you yeah. go, like, go and you find like Kokorus or whatever Kokorus. Right? What are they called? What 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 are what called? The little the little dudes that give you the Korok seeds. Oh, cor- oh, oh, the oh, aren't they just called Koroks? Maybe. I asked you. I don't you're the remember. Zelda expert. Breath of the Wild, man. It ain't she my like Breath of the Wild. Um, <laughs> and it literally could be any creature from the Zelda universe. But like, I think doing something like that and bringing in Breath of the Wild because it is on Nintendo Switch, which is their console that they're you know pushing right now, I think would make sense. Obviously, they're going to make this Mario focus because he's their number one poster boy. 
True. But I think leaving Super Smash Brothers out is a mistake. I think leaving Pokemon <gasps> out is a giant is a giant mistake. I think leaving well, Pokemon. Legend of Zelda out is also a mistake. Zelda out, oh, yeah. They have a lot of Pokemon things in Japan. Do you can you imagine Smash Brothers giving everyone those big like suits, those big suits that people wear? What if it's like a sumo suit. Sumo suit? Yeah. 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 Or it'd be, be like so a whack-a-mole. Oh my god, that would be so good. Oh, I think this is really fun. cool. I've when I was in sixth grade, I made a report called Video Game Land because I wanted a video game theme park. So it's kind of cool that we're getting something like that now that I'm twenty years older. Rip. Um but yeah. Twenty? You're so you're so you're young so still. Young. Little baby Brittany, just twenty years old. I wish I was only twenty years old. <laughs> Sad I day. do and I don't. Uh, but I would love to go to this. <laughs> We yeah. should physically cool, mentally. No. Yeah, no, listen, we'll put it in the calendar as like a if we can afford it, we should go. Hashtag content. Hashtag patreon.com slash what's good games. <laughs> do you want to see us like making weird videos in Japan? If you do, there you go. I wonder if they let you dress up in this park because like Disney, you can't uh... fully dress up, right? Like you can Disney bound, which is like you can lightly be in the same colors yeah, but I don't you couldn't know. go unless you're like three if you have a dress code on a gown because they don't want you being confused with one of their actual the actor characters. cast members mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so i'm curious if if super nintendo world will have those rules yet or if they're like yeah yeah sure you show up as peach if you were gonna go bound to the nintendo world which character would you bound as steimer i mean i guess daisy looks like me <gasps> aka she just <laughs> brunette Stiver. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know what else to say. You can bound oh, with literally anybody or, um, or anything. Oh my gosh! Like things in uh, Odyssey. Pauline. Mm, no, Pauline. No, Pauline's the original. Is the original? But isn't she? She's in because she sings. And oh, then, maybe. Hold on. Let me look. I would go the, as a Goron. Yeah, Pauline. There she is. Yeah, I would I, be Pauline, no, but I would, she looks like Carmen Sandiego. Yeah, but I would go as Pauline, though. Lamos. We Goron is where is that? Pauline. You can roll around everywhere, do little somersaults, eat no, bombs. I'd I, I have to go as Peach. Like, Peach is my thing. I know that I have red Peach hair. Peach can fly with her dress if you pick I it know, up. I know. I love Peach. She's one of my faves. Andrea, as a bit, can we put you on top of a roof and put a very, like, let me finish, put a very cushioned <laughs> foam mat at the bottom, and then you can jump off and hold your skirt and try to fly? Oh. I'm into it. I'm down. <laughs> If you really can get great. the budget to make all of these things happen, I will physically do it. Okay, just make sure you have really good insurance before we do this. I mean, uh, it would have to be like, sure. so at Comic-Con one year, they had the Assassin's Creed. Also, I love how we've just fucking gone off the rails. Um, oh, that was Assassin's fun. Creed uh, Eagle Dive thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did. And I'm like, it was terrifying. You, you could have done that, but in a peach dress. <laughs> that was fun. Oh, yeah, send me I'm going to repurpose this. <laughs> and then I'd be like, nope, I can't fly. Shit. Yeah, that was terrifying. Gravity works. The eagle, the eagle thing. Yeah, I did it. I was scared. That was fun. You got to go I down a zipline with guns. I did do the zipline. Yeah, I've done zipline. I don't. I mean, I'm not a fan of just straight jumping off of things. And there was that foam pit. I remember that. That was a good time. Oh man, brand activations, everybody! It's what E3 2020 is only going to be about. <laughs> All right, in case you missed it. There was a little Resident Evil 3 remake trailer <sighs> that happened this week. Brittany, what happened in that trailer? Oh, right. I'm going to tell you. A few things happened. But what stood out the most to me were these little... Okay, so RE2, when the remake came, this is a, this is called the Resident Evil Nemesis trailer, and it's about two minutes long. 
Resident Evil 2 remake stuck pretty true to Resident Evil 2 in terms of story arcs, in terms of characters, where you meet people. But in seeing this trailer, a lot of people thought, oh, it's boring. It's like, oh, no, if you know what you're looking for, it's actually very exciting. So this is where I'm going to go off and do my own nerd thing. Get a drink. Do it, go girl. on with your bad self. Do Enjoy it. yourself. Okay, so you see Carlos meeting Jill, which looks like for the first time in this new trailer. And she's all beat up and whatnot. And he's like, she's like, hey, who are you? And he says, I'm Carlos. I'm here to save you. And they go on with their bad selves. Different, very different from the original one where she meets him in a kitchen slash restaurant. And he's like, hey, don't freak out. I'm not a zombie. So we know that's going to be different. So why would she? That's what I would say, too. What? That's what I would say, too. I'm a zombie. No, I'm not a zombie. Yeah, don't say you're a zombie, Andrea. You will get shot and I'll be very sad. (laughs) Although zombies can't say anything. It's true. It depends on... Yeah, you're right. Um, and, but in, in the remake of RE2, Claire and Leon meet essentially the same way. So we know, like, they're definitely going off a little bit with RE3 remake. And the team has said that they plan on making some things different. But it's kind liberties. of fun to see where they're doing that. The other thing is we see... Um, well, these are just other notes. So Brad Vickers, we know his role is changing. We know Dario or Dario, whatever you want to call him. His role is changing because they have said as much. Dario's the guy in the very beginning of RE3. who's like, oh, my daughter and my wife are killed. Oh, no. And he locks himself in the back of a truck or in the back Jeez. of like a cargo storage. And yeah. it's not good. And he dies and you never see him again. But apparently he's oh, going to have a bigger role in this game, which is interesting because he had just maybe two or three lines of dialogue in the first one. So what are you doing with him? What are you doing with Brad Vickers? Nemesis now has a flamethrower, which is absolutely terrifying. We all That's knew- just that's just rude. I know, it's just very rude. He has a rocket launcher already, but now he gets a flamethrower. So he gets up close. Yeah, it's great. And he's really Burns fast. Burns your ass. That bitch can move. Like he is speedy guns. He mm, he's not he's a, he's a sprint runner, is what you He saying. is, actually. You wouldn't think by looking at him, but he really is. Mm-hmm. And then we see a clip in the new trailer of the subway where you're talking to Mikhail and you see a bunch of people on the subway. And in the original, it was just you and the team from Umbrella. So we know that they're expanding on the story there. There's a driving scene where Jill drives a car off of a cliff, which looks like, and lands it on the nemesis. That so absolutely. Like Thelma and Louise style. But you can't kill nemesis, right? You can. Oh. But if it's going to be anything like RE2, you can't actually kill Nemesis until a particular point in the game, right? Mm. You can shoot off his fedora in RE2, Mr. X. But you oh, can't. I did it. I got the achievement. Yeah. Boom. But you can't actually Trophy, kill him, right, until whatever. a certain part, until the game's like, okay, go ahead. I so we'll see what they Mr. do with X. this one. Um, and then so finally, nice. Nemesis, the way he says stars in RE3 original, stars. he says it like, it's very crisp. It's like stars are all gravelly and shit. But in this one, it's more of a breathy sigh, and I think it's ten times more scary, even though he has it's a little like crooked, smushed nose. I think he's terrifying. Some do people seem pr- to think he's not as scary. What? Yeah, do what, does it sound, what does it sound like? <clears throat> Stars. That's definitely oh. scary. That's absolutely not what it sounds like at all. What oh, he's got a little bit of a He's got a little bit of a list. Yeah, no, it's not at all what it's... <laughs> Are you me. judging him? <laughs> I mean, his face is smashed in. Of course I mean, he's got a list. I mean, he's doing his best. Is he, though? He's an asshole. He is an like asshole. Uh, Don't but... defend Nemesis. No, Why he's not good. Not? <laughs> uh, I'm kind of at the point, though, which is so hard. I don't want to see anymore. I just want to go in it blind because we know we're getting new stuff, and it's really cool that... They're kind of creating a canon of RE3. They're take, they're getting rid of the choices you can make. They're getting rid of the multiple endings. This is going to be the canon. I don't want to know anymore, but like it's kind of my job to so know more. So 
I'll continue to break these trailers down. <clears throat> you say you don't want to, but you know you want to. It's she a love hate. Game. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, we'll cross our fingers that you get lots more juicy trailers that you can grunt to <laughs> make you happy. Um. Just a couple more things I'm gonna run down quickly. By the time the podcast has aired, a Smash Ultimate had a direct. Is it probably maybe Dante? Who could say? So over at IGN, they write that Capcom producer Matt Walker posted a tweet earlier this month announcing an update for Devil May Cry 3 Special Edition for Nintendo Switch. In a short video online, Walker told fans to keep an eye out on some upcoming dates for a Devil May Cry news. One of those dates is January 16th. Coincidentally, the same day as the Nintendo Super Smash Bros. Ultimate Fighter reveal live stream. Look at that sleuthing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got to be Dante, right? I would, you would think so. Dante could be what was the other guy? V was that his name? Uh, oh, yeah. oh, God, yeah. But v, I don't right. think no. so because Samer, you be and I just forgot his name, and we just reminded I know, ourselves. Wasn't he like a husband? He's of like, somebody's? I mean, he's that the an, he's you don't the, need to remember their names. He's got, that's fair. <laughs> fair. They, um, he's got the animal friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, he was what? Yeah, it's v. v. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was sexy to me. Anyways, I'm a little into the emo. It's good. Um, but yeah, I c- c- couldn't have remembered his name. <laughs> you don't have to say. Remember his look. You're you know? like, listen, I'm only looking at your face. I don't need to know what's on your driver's license. It's good. It's true. Um, okay. So we'll, you know, talk about that next week if it's interesting we'll probably or not. Talk if it's it. not. According to analysts at Sensor Tower, players spent $61.7 billion globally on mobile games in 2019, a 12.8% increase from 2018. The biggest moneymaker was Tencent's Honor of Kings, which brought in $1.5 billion <laughs> by itself. That's insane. That's insane. A, also known as Arena of Valor here on our side of the planet. It's on the Switch, and it's free. Yeah, Arena of Valor, is, uh, it's a MOBA. It is very successful. And, yeah, it's it is very successful. I've played it a little bit. I haven't yet found a rhythm with MOBAs on mobile. And let's be honest, connecting to the internet on your Switch is just a pain in the neck. So I just don't play multiplayer games on my Switch. But from what I've played on mobile, it was really it was really fun. But congrats, one point five billion. That's like Fortnite That's money. That's a lot of dope. It is. And then the last piece with the slash sad trombone. Mm-hmm. That was good. During 2019's holiday period, GameStop sales were down 27.5% compared to last year. That's Ouch. crazy. Same store sales were down 24.7 year over year. That number, same store sales. We're down 24.7. So that includes like stores that like, so the overall number would always include outliers. But the idea that it's 24.7 for same store sales, I was just like, hmm. that's like the biggest fucking bummer to me. Like to hear a story like this. We all know that GameStop's been struggling against online infrastructure, against digital distribution. And they've tried to, buff their business with collectibles and t-shirts and tchotchkes of all sorts and exclusive editions of consoles which they've been actually very good about going out and getting 
but clearly it's just too little, too late. Yeah, it's, it's just, just not enough. I'm telling you, we Jojo still song. need to have the mega store. Somebody needs to buy the bankrupt rights to Toys R Us, which I think somebody did. Someone, somebody did. Did. Yeah. Someone did. Yeah. And they need to combine it with all of the rights to GameStop and then just make them into one big superstore. Be like, are you the adult? And you have your kid, buy your kid a toy on this side, and buy you a toy on this side. Yeah, oh. it's, that would be great. Toys I would live for there. everyone. Exactly. Throw in a bar, and I would I would exist oh my God. solely in that area. You know, it's it's interesting because the Throw statements coming out are... Throw in a bar hey. with some chicken wings. Oh, wait, what? Did I fuck something up? No, like, no. No, 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 no. you didn't. You okay. didn't do anything wrong. Um, you know, all the statements coming out are, hey, new consoles will bring us back. It's we're waiting for the new consoles. People aren't buying new consoles. Obviously, it's going to be interesting once the, these new this new generation does release how it does affect their sales, how much longer it'll allow them to stay afloat, and then what their I hate calling it an excuse will be because that sounds assholeish. But you know, are they yeah, going to be able to no. pivot? It's interesting to follow this saga. It's it's sad actually because I really like GameStop. <laughs> Because, like, they are at this point now, you know, trying to pivot and trying to figure yeah. out a way to stay relevant. But I don't, like I said, I, don't, I might actually just be too little too late at this point. Because customers, if they were frustrated with their GameStop experience, <laughs> have definitely gone elsewhere and can find, like, you can buy the consoles other places. You can buy them at Target. You can buy them at Best Buy. You can buy them, hell, like, you know, on Amazon. So there's a number of different venues. Whereas before, you know, you're like, where do I want to go to get games? Oh, the place with game in the title is probably a good place to start. Smart. Um, so it's, just, it really is kind of fascinating. Even when you look back on like when I've grown, even in my short window of life, how everything has changed so drastically. Mm-hmm. Like you had to go to a mall to buy things. There was no other option. You went to the store. And yeah. like, and that's kind of what they, you know, would, would bank on at the time, right? Uh-huh. Like, you have to come here. Well, I mean, I think that they still can bank on that because I think that there's still a selection of goods that people want to buy today that they're like, I can't wait for even Amazon, like two day prime shipping. I need to have the thing I need today. And yes. that's why there's still a brick and mortar presence for a lot of major brands. And I think that was what was so important about a brand like GameStop is that they're you know, spread into the rural markets was so crucial for gamers who live in areas where it's tough to get deliveries. Like there's a lot of places in the United States that don't have prime as an option. Yeah. And when you talk about getting a game delivered by mail for launch night, get out of here. You're never going to have it at midnight for launch night. You're going to get it the next day. If you're lucky, or if you're like me, Amazon cancels your order and says, Oh, sorry, good luck to you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then gives you like nothing nothing in return. Yeah. You know, and so it's tough when, you know, because of the way that the market conditions are, that they're being forced out to, it's really unfair to the people who are already at a disadvantage. It feels like, it's just like the story of America now. Just kick the people that are down because they're down. They're the easiest to kick. And like generally people in those rural markets also have the most difficult access to high speed internet, which you need to download these files. I was just talking about this in the discord the other day. I was like, I was updating my Division 2 game because I wanted to get back into that because I was like, there's all these story stuff, these episode DLCs that I haven't played. I want to I want to jump back in and refresh. And I went to go update it. And now the game file, if you download it from scratch, is over 100 gigabytes. <laughs> Good luck to you. <laughs> you know? And, like, it's only going to get worse going into the next generation. And so it's like, 
you know, people need some people need to get the disc because they otherwise oh, they're waiting course. like eight to ten hours. I guess to my only point is if you had a GameStop near you, chances are I would say you have a Target, you have a Kmart, or you have a mm-hmm. Walmart. Like you have one of those three things also around you. You can still yeah. get them. Yeah. I think that was kind of where my point is that now I don't think. <coughs> Even if you live in middle America, I don't think your brain automatically goes to, I have to go to a GameStop to get this, even if in disc form. I feel like people are just a little bit more informed now. The other retailers are doing a better job promoting games and promoting the fact that they have them and sell them. Whereas before, like, even if, yeah, like if Target had them, it'd be like, I'm sure they're like in the back under a curtain. Like, you know, like you don't really want to know if they're there. Well, the, but the in-store selection at a Walmart or a Target it's not as is good. vastly different than the totally. in-store selection at a GameStop. Absolutely agree. It's just, I think the hard part for me is obviously, like you guys know that I worked with GameStop for several years and I have friends that are still actively working at GameStops right now. And so like this news sucks. It sucks for them as employees. It sucks for all the people who put many years into building this as a brand. But I mean, this comes down to the fact that the leadership didn't pivot fast enough to answer the rise of digital creep on their business and like that's the hard part to kind of wrestle with this idea that you have all these really passionate people obviously there's you know you know people that aren't passionate that work at game stops but like a lot of them that i've met are all super hyper focused on what they love about video games and they love sharing that love with the people that walk into game stops and it's hard for me because I don't think that going to Target is a one-to-one replacement for walking into a GameStop. But what if? No. You know how sometimes they have Sephora's and JCPenney's? Oh, what yes. if they did that? What if GameStop partnered like with a, a Target? Like a CVS and a Target? Oh, yes. Like, yes. What if they partnered in a Walmart or a Kmart or whatever, you, and they were like, GameStop well, in Target. Kiss. Let's do it. Come on, you Probably. get your Starbucks, you get your games. No, but see, you go in there spending more life. money. You go into Target expecting to spend 60 bucks on a game. You spend like 160 bucks because you get That is your problem, my dear. But I think that that, something that's like they that. Need. They need it. I know, I know. It's, that takes it's vision, though, from somebody in their, in their C-suite. And I don't know who's on that team now because I've been so far removed for, excuse me, for a number of years. But like. I would love to see them do something like that, pitch something like that, mm-hmm. try to keep the business alive and go, hey, we see the writing on the wall. We have X amount of years before we like have to go into bankruptcy or we have to sell. And like their stock price like speaks for itself, how it's been dropping in order for them to survive and keep that brand because they have immense brand recognition and they can capitalize on that if they find the right partner i just don't know if they're going to because maybe the other brick and mortar retailers are like dude like we're all fighting against the digital tide right like, maybe just like let it tow you under it'd be oh, interesting to sad. see how it's just like they're like we'll let you drown how target electronics department's doing work. right because that's still also brick and mortar it'd be interesting to see what the sales would be for that because yeah maybe everybody's yeah, thinking this is the hard part that i struggle with and i'm not gonna soapbox on it for too much longer i just want to say this last piece is like there is a struggle between stores knowing what to keep in stock on the shelves that consumers are going to walk in going, I need this thing today in my hand versus what you're going to order a specialty item like from Amazon for. And I've run into this in several situations over the last couple of months. And I know that my line of work is highly specialized, but like I've walked into Target looking for a specific Polaroid film and didn't find it. I've walked into um, stores looking for specific types of USB-C or USB 
um, 3.0 cables and didn't find them because they're like, oh, we just don't carry those. Yep. Um, it's maddening. It's like uh, you you look for things that aren't like I wasn't looking for like a 50 foot long cable. Like I get that like specialty cables are something you have to special order, but I just figure some of this stuff would would normally have been stock things. But you go into a lot of stores now and like the shelves are like bare bones and like it like bums me out because I get that the brick and mortar has an obligation to pay rent and keep the electricity on and pay their employees. Whereas online stores have much lower overhead and like, but the, the shitty part about that is like, so I've had this similar experience where I'm like, Oh, I'll just, I'll just go into the store. Right. Cause mm-hmm. again, we grew up in an age where that's what you kind of did. So yes, we are used to using our phones and Amazoning, but we're also used to like, you just go to the store and you get the thing immediately and you yeah. walk away and you don't have to worry about it. Um, and I've had that happen a few times where I've gone to the store and this was like, and it's a really mundane thing and they don't have it. And I'm like, well, I, what good are you to me? Yeah. <laughs> why do you, why do you exist? The only place I apparently should leave my house for to go get is for groceries. Yeah. They have to and, stock those. And, and that's it. Like, because I can just buy cables or whatever I need on my phone with Amazon and, and it will it's be so here much tomorrow. cheaper too. And it is dude. But okay, again, yeah, now we're going down a rabbit hole of right, why I, a HDMI but, costs and two dollars on Amazon and fifty. But I don't exactly, want to get girl. down that rabbit hole because there's like what I would say to you is like the quality control on Amazon is non-existent. That I can't tell true. you how many times I've gotten a shit piece of equipment that said it was brand name and it clearly was not, and it's broken. Yeah, it's cheaper, but it's cheaper. <laughs> you pay, you get what you pay for. Mm. But also this idea that you know you can go to Amazon, but you you don't get it today, and like. Also, again, to reiterate, we live in major metropolitan areas where Prime now is a thing. If you go to some of these more rural areas, even if in Fargo, my hometown, they have specific items that are available for Prime. But there's a whole swath of items that I can get for Prime delivery here in the Los Angeles metro that, like, my family can't get for Prime delivery in Fargo. Yeah, yeah I know. So I think that that, to me, is the tragedy of what's happening to GameStops, is that they served a really amazing community purpose, and I wish that they sooner would have dived in or leaned in to the idea of building gaming communities around their stores to make themselves so valuable that people would prefer to walk into a GameStop store that's local because they have relationships with the people who run those stores. They do D&D sessions there. Mm-hmm. They do BYOCs or whatever tournaments that they would say, hey, I would rather buy from you because I'm supporting somebody in my community than going to Target.com, Best Buy.com, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And I think that they missed that. Or if they were talking about it and didn't implement it, it's like, what was the hurdle? They missed the window. Why yeah. didn't you do it? So, I mean, I, I don't want to say that this is the end for them because obviously it's not. They're still a behemoth of a company, but I hope that they can course correct enough to save enough jobs to keep what they represent alive, but they have to innovate. They have to change. They have to pivot. I think there's potential, uh, again, like last thing I'll say about it, is for this experience that they're going for, right? Where that's where you go to play D&D or to play console games or whatnot. Like, I think of the mall that's closest to me, and it's a, it's a relatively small mall, but there is a store in there that does have several TVs set up and several consoles and D&D nights and whatnot. And every time I go there, it's just packed. Like, packed. And they sell games, too, and whatnot. So I think there is a large group of people who is who are looking for that community, right? I think that's something we see with what we do is – People want a com- to be involved in a community that's based around their hobby and passion. If they can do it and do it right, 
then I think they'll be okay. I think they still need to shut down a whole bunch of stores because, unfortunately, that's just the reality of it. But even just seeing, you know, like I said, firsthand of the store in my local mall, it's like, wow, like I did not expect that to actually be so successful, but it's doing incredibly well. Yeah, I mean, it is because there there has been that resurgence of uh, sort of tabletop, right? Mm-hmm. Just tabletop in general, not it's even cool. just tabletop RPG, but um, just regular old board games that we used to Connect play when we were everybody, children, right? Monopoly. And if you feel like a store is a second home away from home, like, yeah, you're going to go and you're going to support that business. Um, so, I, and that's the other silly thing to me is like, I'm like, GameStop, you could have leaned into that a hell of a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. Your name is Game. It's just GameStop, not video GameStop, Game. Like, incorporate way more types of games into your store and pimp those out. And again, yeah, do exactly what these other more mom and pop stores are doing. And you could have had, you have way more marketing budget than they do. You could have gotten butts and seats is all I'm saying. It makes me wonder if they hadn't thought about pivoting until it was, obviously we know this is the case, too late. But for one of these reasons, I was someone who, Simon calls me a hoarder. And you both have seen my game collection. I have always said physical till I die. You know, I'm always going to have physical games. I don't want to go. You're a traditionalist. Yeah, there we go. Thanks. Traditionalist hoarder. There you go. Thanks. You too, Simon. No, hoarders keep trash. Britain doesn't keep trash. She's a she's an organized hoarder. We've she's had an discussion. overzealous collector, <laughs> and I have tamed my ways because I was like, I don't, ain't nobody got time or room for this, even in my house. So yeah, I was one of those people. Like, I gotta have physical disc. I like the traditional way of doing things. It makes me feel good that I own my I own my property, whatever you want to call it. And I and I'm sure, like many others, slowly was like saw the light of how beautiful digital can be. Granted, there are downsides, but I think for a while there was that push of digital sucks. Digital is not the way to go. You need physical disc. It's the way to do it. We all cause kind of a big sting. I had that too. Yep. Yep. And uh, slowly but surely though, you know, especially as I started getting review copies and they were digital, I was like, I don't, I was losing my discs. I've always lost my discs since I was a little kid, misplacing cartridges left and right. And it just kind of snuck up on me. And now I can't remember the last time I bought anything physical. And if I did, it's because it came as a part of a collector's edition that I bought. Right. And uh, it's just, yeah, I don't know. I think it all kind of snuck up on us. I never thought in a million years I would have been someone who's digital only, but it happened. So maybe I'm part of the reason. I'm sorry. Still love me. (laughs) It is all you. It is all me. I will bear the weight on my shoulders. Yeah. It's all those collector's editions you stopped buying. Yeah. Yeah. Makes me sad. 30% of the revenue. (laughs) For me only. (laughs) Yeah. Brittany has (laughs) single-handedly tanked GameStop. GameStop. (laughs) Shit. And on that note, why don't we take our first break and only break of the show. When we come back, we're going to be talking about more pleasant things, like what we've been playing and watching and reading. It's going to be a cornucopia of entertainment. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. It's the second segment of the What's Good Games podcast. This is the part of the show where we talk about what we've been playing, if we've been to a special event, and all around just what games we think you should check out. So this week, this segment is brought to you by patreon.com slash what's good games. We've already told you about our exclusive streams that happen every month, and they're happening next Tuesday, January 21st. If you would like to join us for our happy hour Q&A and our after hour stream, you've got to go. Join 
your preferred membership level at patreon.com slash what's good games. Plus, we've got exclusive vlogs. We've got posts and polls. You get to pick what we talk about on the show and so much more. I haven't even talked about the amazing postcard art. Oh. That's yeah. how, it's going to be worth a lot. See, this is what you do, friends. You pledge to us at the postcard level. You get the postcards. You save the postcards. You lock them away in a safe where nothing can touch them for about 50 years. You turn around. You sell them. You make bank. We're helping you here. We're not sure who you're selling them to, but, you know, it, it'll it happen. It in will. 50 years, somebody will want paper because it won't exist. Oh, my God. <gasps> oh, what if the shirt. currency was cardboard? <laughs> <laughs> Patreon.com slash what's good games. Okay, Brittany. I've been seeing you tweet about Dragon Ball. And you're wearing a Dragon Ball shirt. You thought this was a pickle dick. And to, in your, to your fairness, it does look like a pickle it dick. Looks like a, it looks like a pickle that's bandaged, like an injured like pickle. Like an injured. Like he has a head injury, like his, his head is wrapped in a pickle. Yeah, I mean, you just in a, in described. A bandage, a pickle's head. You just okay. described Piccolo to a T. You did a very good job. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, so for those of you listening, my shirt is a pickle with Namekian gear it's piccolo's turban and his little shoulder guards but it's like a legit warty pickle it looks it's... like a pickle on a pillow with a hat inside a pillow like inside the ziploc yeah. bag yeah like he's just hanging out in a nice you know he's gonna take a it's nap it's like a ziploc bag it's got cotton at the top of it it's <laughs> like a weird <laughs> can we can we have a new segment where i wear shirts of video of dragon ball z characters and you ladies just tell me like what you think is going on yes yes i also want to know what like zameki did you say zameki in armor what did you say namekian he's a namek namekian what he's, is that he's yeah, from the, sorry he's with... from the planet namek namekian yeah uh think namek. of an alien of course, obvi- oh, silly duh, Andrea. Duh. <laughs> sorry duh uh just think of a green <laughs> alien man with little antennae his name is piccolo He's a very, very good friend of Goku and Gohan, and I'm going to talk about that here in a hot minute. Aren't you excited? Oh, Does he look like I'm a ready. pickle in the game? Yeah, some people actually like Piccolo. Some people are into it. Not myself personally, but hey. Oh, this guy. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. just green. He doesn't look like a pickle. Pickle? Pickle? Pickle. pickle. But his name is Piccolo, so it's a pun. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, green. but your shirt, for for people who are not watching at YouTube.com slash What's Good Games, there's no features it literally just looks like a pickle there's no yeah. eyes there's no nose there's no eyebrows or indentations to indicate a face or arms of any kind it, it truly is just a pickle in a ziploc bag with, a cape with a bandage with a bag it's a cape Andrea. it's a cape <laughs> why has it got so much fabric on the front of the cape though that's it's what there. it looks like it's what look it like- does it looks like he's got like a like a mock turtleneck no like a cowl neck yes he has a yeah. cowl neck a cape cowl neck sweater with some major habit. shoulder pads <laughs> It's fashion. It's Namekian fashion. How okay. dare you judge it? Oh my it? god, I love this so much. I'm so happy. This is our new thing. All right, noted. Okay, noted. Okay. okay. So now okay, that so we're tell done. Tell us about the game that you've wanted since you were a wee child. Yeah, so <laughs> okay. it's Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. Good job. Did uh, I do it? You did. No, I'm very proud of you. You're getting very good with your Dragon Ball lingo. Uh, first thank of all, you. thank you, Bandai Namco, for the code. So this game is coming out on the 17th, and so I guess it's out the day this podcast releases. It is developed by CyberConnect2, published by Bandai Namco, out for Xbox One, PS4, and PC. And so before I start talking about it, it's been said that this game, the main story is 40 hours long. If you were to do everything in the game, 100 hours. I am only about 7 to 8 hours in, so I'm still very early. I just got my code yesterday. So I just got through the Saiyan saga, and I'll explain that in a second. So this is kind of more of a 
wee baby first impressions, but I'm sure I'm going to uncover more as I play. Of course. So <laughs> this game. Is it everything you've ever hoped for? Kind of. Great. Yeah, it, it's a good step. So Dragon Ball Z Kakarot follows the Saiyan saga through the Kid Buu saga. Now this spans the entirety of the Dragon Ball Z series because you have Dragon Ball, you have Dragon Ball Z. You have Dragon Ball Super, you got Dragon Ball GT, if you want to count that. They're all separate, but this is purely Dragon Ball Z. Dragon Ball Z is 290-ish episodes. Yikes. That's so, a lot of manga to watch. Is that right? <laughs> anime. 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 Manga's the, the manga's print. The, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I caught myself. You did it. <laughs> I'm so, proud of you. <laughs> I love you both so much. You guys are the best friends ever. Thank you. We're trying, Brittany. No, I know, and I see I it. Mean, and Simon I appreciate knows it. stuff. I'm trying. Like, I don't, I don't know Simon's Dragon like, Ball, um, but I me. do. I read it. manga. Get out of here. I do read manga, and I have watched anime, just not this particular. I love you both. You both just picked up your wine at the same time. You're like, time to drink. It's going to get real nerdy. Okay, so <laughs> yep. If you're it on me, <laughs> so Dragon Ball Z Kakarot also expands on specific lore throughout the game. It adds some new characters. So if you know the series front and back, there's something new and exciting for you. All right, so. Again, it starts with the Saiyan saga, and you have to take Gohan to meet Master Roshi, Bulma, Krillin, because it's been five years since you've seen them. No one has met your son before, even though these are supposedly like some of your best friends and the people that raise you. You just kind of fuck off for five years. I don't know. Goku's kind of an asshole. I love Goku. The heart of gold. Terrible father. Also an asshole, but I love him. Um, All right. So we'll analyze that later. Yeah, it, it's a <laughs> we'll whole thing. Piccolo, Piccolo is Gohan's like actual dad. That's what every you know most people say. Again, like that's a whole other thing. Having uh, a pickle as a dad must be weird. Yeah, yeah. it's a cucumber. Okay, so, so the first thing <laughs> I talk about is in terms of the story and the characters. Now, obviously, I think they are what make Dragon Ball Z. Sorry. So incredible. The the vast majority the, the characters are so different. There's so many of them. There's so much lore there to follow. And I think the thing to th- to remind yourself here before you dive into this game is the Saiyan Saga I finished in seven hours. Now, the Saiyan Saga in Dragon Ball Z is 35 episodes, which translates about 15 to 17 hours. So, and part of my gameplay was me just fucking around in the world, right? I'm not always doing story missions and whatnot. So I think the thing that I think I knew this going into it, but it would have helped me to go to to like remember it when I started playing is that not everything can be touched on and that's really important to remember if you are a true blue fan of the anime because a lot of things are going to be left out in terms of some of the fun kind of story fluff and filler that you get in between battles in between episodes and it for that reason I think if you're new to Dragon Ball Z I don't know if this is the way to experience it. Now, granted, if you are someone who's like, I'm never going to sit and watch all 291 episodes of the anime. Me. That's you. You could play this and you could get the main story beats. But what you're going to miss on is some of the fun stuff that kind of connects the story together. So, for example, in the Saiyan Saga, there's a part where Goku's son, Gohan, who's only like, what, five at this point, has to... He's really powerful. He just doesn't know it yet. So Piccolo, because... Sound like a fucking love triangle here. Goku is dead. Piccolo. Oh, rip. Yeah, everyone dies several times throughout the series. It's a thing. They just resurrect? Yeah, Dragon Balls. Is it part of the lore that they resurrect, or do they just conveniently resurrect them? They collect the seven Dragon Balls, and they oh. resurrect people. Because once you collect the Dragon Balls, you can bring, you can grant any wish you want. Someone, I totally understand everything that's happening right now. You're, I love you. It. Thank you. Just smile and nod, baby girl. 
at one point someone requ- like requested the most comfortable pair of women's panties and that's the the wish they get it's kind of a really joke. yeah it's it's kind Wait, of funny is that that's a real thing that happens in, in dragon ball well they've got yes. a 290 episodes they gotta fill some of them. And i mean i want the most comfortable pair of panties that's what i'm saying did they, did they reveal the design should we make them i wish they do look really cute and comfy though anywho yeah so people die a lot in this game so goku's dead gohan is the son gohan's really powerful he just doesn't know it piccolo takes him and he's like i'm gonna train your ass because we got a year to get strong before these assholes come to our planet and try to fuck our shit up and he leaves gohan like all by himself for six months in the middle of the wilderness a five-year-old like he just leaves him there now go gohan has a mother who loves him very much and cares about him very much but never is her name's Chi Chi. Never is she in in the game. You never hear anything from her. All you know is that Gohan is in the wilderness for six months by himself, and it's kind of a weird thing. Like, but wouldn't the mom be worried about him when his friends? No, that's when it was safe. In the world. <laughs> <laughs> With like dinosaurs or and everything roaming around, to be like, go play in the woods he for can a while. He just use his hair as a weapon. It's fine. It's got enough hair gel in it. You just stab things with it. That's very it true. You ladies just... need to be co-writers on the next Dragon Ball series because I think you have some really great insight that was forgotten, did not even thought about. I appreciate <laughs> your sarcasm. Continue. You. Okay. <laughs> so as a fan, you know, I can fill in those cracks of like, okay, so I know in the anime, Chi-Chi ultimately found out that Goku was dead and Gohan was alive and she passed out and then she was freaking out trying to find out where he is and trying to watch him and she sees him and she has this really emotional moment but none of that is told in the game so I think for that reason alone you just if you're gonna play it and you're new just be careful there's a, there's a, I'm some really curious like now I want to play it because I want to see if I understand it at all I would love it if you would I know you said you'd play RE2 for me. You really didn't. So you could come through. You know what? Play Kakarot hey, for me. I did play it for. For how long, Sam? A couple of hours. Here's the thing. <laughs> like I, four hours. So I, played I, like four I hours. played this game at E3 Judges Week last year. And I actually had a, a, a good time with it. Mm-hmm. Knowing like only like Goku's name and Trunks. Because you talk about Trunks all the time. Um, from the series. And it still like holds up as a like an action adventure RPG. There's a lot of really cool mechanics. Which I'm sure Britt will get into in just a second. So I think that if you have even like a, a base level understanding of what's happening with the story. I think the mechanics of the you know kind of like. I don't want to call it truly open world. Because it's not a sandbox it's, right. Would you agree with that statement Britt? It's a whole bunch of little sandboxes that's fine by me yeah it's like i don't like it to be third person action adventure rpg or action rpg you could maybe even call it because there's not really a lot of traversal i'm gonna ask for a code for this because why not no you should i I think you're crazy i think you're gonna i think you're gonna love it because it's so crazy and it's so weird goku fishes with a fake tail he puts on the back of his butt and he wiggles it around it's great the fish are the are you excited to get the text messages from me when i start playing this game (laughs) yeah i'm so excited honestly yeah so again not saying you shouldn't play it if you never played it before because like andrea said she had a good time just like a little heads up this is my little disclaimer to you and i think if you're a big fan of the series you can feel in like the little beats and you know what's happening but it's still it's like oh i forgot about that part that part happened and it's anyway um but this is so true to dragon ball z it's so quirky like dragon ball z the scenes you do get to see so far all the voice actors have sound the exact same from the anime i'm sure some people had to come in and take over for other roles and whatnot but so far it's just been you know the same goku the same vegeta the same piccolo the same yeah tien chaozu yamcha puar all these characters it's 
It's really cool. Um, and it does look beautiful. It, it, it looks just like you're watching an HD version of the anime. And so it's really neat to be able to fly around and see all these buildings and see these iconic locations that you do get to see. So if you're a fan of Dragon Ball Z, like you 100%, I think, need to play this game. It's a good time. There is, for those of you who aren't super familiar with Dragon Ball Z, like my two lovely co-hosts, something called the Z Encyclopedia. And this is essentially a codex. It has over, not over, almost a thousand different entries. Wow. Inside as you unlock them. Yeah, it covers character relationships because it is just like one big melting pot of this person's married to this person. Like a telenovela. It's a lot. Uh, All the story, it really deep dives into the story. It fills in some of those gaps that I've been talking about. So if you're kind of wondering, well, why did this happen? It does a really good job at explaining it. And it's also really cute. As you're walking around, there's collectibles that are throwbacks to Dragon Ball. I haven't seen anything after Dragon Ball, but I'm assuming that's because you are in Dragon Ball Z, which takes place after Dragon Ball. Anyway, cute little clips of the history of Goku growing up with Krillin and Master Roshi and meeting Chi-Chi and Yamcha for the first time. Really cute stuff. So a few little gripes kind of when it comes to this story and character part of the game. A lot of every... A lot of the dialogue is voice acted, and obviously it's voice acted extremely well. These are the voice actors that have been playing these characters for, oh, I don't even know how long, 20, 30 years. I don't know how long it's been. It's been a very long time, 20 years. Anywho, as expected, they're all great. But when you're used to watching the anime, you're used to seeing, you know, their facial animations, just, you know, the very, like, heavy-handed moments. Their faces look how they should. They look concerned. They're not just kind of staring like blankly. And so mm-hmm. one of the things with this is during some of the more important cutscenes or during the more pivotal cutscenes, the facial animations just aren't there. I don't know. It's, it almost seems like there wasn't maybe time ran out to do proper animations, to do choreographed scenes, because sometimes it does feel like you're just watching two characters, two models, just kind of have a conversation back and forth, but there's no one's really moving. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my God, this bad guy's coming. Oh no, we need to kill him. Oh no, our friend is dead. But there's just no body language there. I like this more. What? I'm, oh no, our friend I, is dead. Yeah, I, can you? I want you to enact really dramatic things, but like that from now on. Okay. Anything for you, Simer? Thanks, baby girl. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in that sense, it's not a terrible thing, but I guess. One of the reasons why this game could definitely be someone's personal game of the year, but obviously, like, not that anyone's expecting it, but it doesn't have the chops to do, like, a critical game of the year, because those story beats just don't hit home when someone is being all dramatic about something, but they're, they're just staring at you. It is, like, it doesn't look real. It's just kind of, like, weird. And maybe it's just me, because I'm used to seeing these characters over 290 episodes actually having facial animations. But, for, well, I, think, yeah. I think that's a fair Yeah. Critique. Um, let's see. Talk okay, to so about the, smashing things. Gameplay, yeah. So... You have, so far, I've come across about three different sandboxy areas, and they're relatively large areas. The issue, though, is that there just doesn't seem to be a lot to do right now. As I've played, Mm. I have unlocked bases, and I, you know, enemy bases, and I have unlocked um, very strong enemies, elite enemies, that I can't even touch with a 10-foot pole right now, even if I wanted to. Just run away? is that like a a grinding roadblock that you find to be fun you're like oh i've got to go grind some side quests or do you do you find it like a hindrance like oh this is annoying my progression unfortunately it's more of a hindrance because (coughs) there first of all there's no way to change the difficulty in this game oh Oh, bummer yeah and so it and i'll talk about the combat in a minute the combat's incredibly fun 
But, you know, you do have to be very calculated. And as someone who isn't used to doing fighting games, because I haven't played the Dragon Ball Z fighting games, but I've heard that this does pull slightly from them, which would make sense. Uh, I'm not used to that kind of combat. So, you you know, it is a little rough for me. I'm managing. I think I've lost maybe two or three fights. And then you just start, you have to start them all the way over. And each enemy has maybe three or four different rows of health bars. So you have to like, it's, you know, it's not, they're not quick fights. And there's no checkpointing in the middle of the fight. Right. I haven't come across any checkpointing. And the the other issue is that these spaces, these sandbox areas are so big and I've come across me four or five side quests and it's not enough. So, Oh wow. Really? That's it. Yeah, that's, that's it. And I'm hoping more will become available and, um, Okay, I think I can Wait, mention so, this. If I can't, I'll let you know, but I have yeah, a review. No, check, to- check your notes. So I'm just trying to get a grasp on this as a game. So obviously, like any kind of action RPG, there's like an overarching story. You've got your main quest line. Oh, here we go. You've got a couple different side quests. And so generally, if I'm in an open world-ish RPG of any kind, if I run into enemies that are too high level, I just go kind of farm and other areas and get resources either for crafting or I get I kill enemies for money. Is there like opportunities to do that? Because when I played, I mean, in, in, in fairness, like I, I played a build that's like seven months old or almost nine months old at this point. Um, well, maybe more like six months, but there it didn't feel like there was a lot of opportunity to farm enemies like out in the wild. No, there's not. Um, before I touch on that, I just did get an email from the PR team saying that they are adding 11 subquests. I don't know when those will come into play. I mean, 11 okay. still doesn't seem like that much over the course no. of a 50 to 100 hour game, but we'll see. Um, but no, to go back to your farming. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, I love getting OP in RPGs like this, you know, where you do get to yeah, grind. You and me, and you we're, to... we're like level grinders. We're yeah. like, we like to walk up and one shot uh, people. You can't. So what you have to do to do that is you have to... The easiest way that I found is hop up, you're flying, fly in the air, and just kind of like sprint through the air. I don't know what sprinting in the air is called. Is there a term for that? Fly very fast. And Turbo then boost. I don't Turbo know. boost. And Speed you fly. will get little, you'll see little exclamation points throughout the map where that's where an enemy is. And then you fly toward the enemy, and then you engage in a battle. And I found maybe it takes like 10 to 11 battles to gain a level. Um, obviously the problem is that those enemies don't get more powerful. And so when you need to now get double the amount of XP to level up, you have to now, you know, do double the grinding. There's not really a way mm-hmm. anywhere to go to find stronger enemies. So it really kind of does become a grind. So the enemies in the world aren't dynamic. They don't scale with your player level. Not, I don't think they do. Cause the, so each saga is broken into chapters and depending on what chapter you are, I found that the enemies level stayed the same. I would progress to the next mm. chapter where obviously you've gained more experience points after certain boss battles. You're now maybe six levels higher and those enemies have scaled, but they won't scale anymore. Interesting. I'm always kind of on the fence about enemy scaling. Part of me is like, I, I like it for the sense of grinding. Like I need to be able to get more XP, but I also love being really OP. Yeah. And like going back like to this. areas and just like one shotting all the, like the little puny enemies. Yeah. You're just like, I sneeze on you <laughs> and then they die. Yeah. That's so- the best. Best part, in the world. Part of the, uh, yeah, because I also like being really OP, and I think it would feel really awesome to be OP in this game. I wonder, though, if the reason that they didn't include a difficulty option is because a lot of these fights can't, you know, in the canon with Goku and Frieza and Vegeta and all them, they are, like, down to the wire, right? They are intense by the end. He has a swollen eye. All of his clothes are basically, like, peeled off of him, 
and he's all banked up and bleeding. I don't know if they remove the option for difficulty for that reason so it stays more true or if mm. I am just not that great at the combat in this game, which, hey, that could be the case. But every yeah, you're You're fight- still in, like, the intro levels. Like, I feel like when you're playing a game that has a literal, like, probably more accurately, like, a 50 to 75-hour, like, runtime, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to get proficient until you hit, like, hour 25, right? Thank you. But, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, it's interesting because the enemies that you find in the world are very easy, but it's the boss fights where it's like recommended level 18. And if you're level 17, I could spend maybe an hour or so grinding and maybe trying to do some side quests or I could go after the fight. And I, and I am able to do that and I'm able to be successful, but it might take me two or three tries or maybe, you know, just depending on like what kind of fight it is. Sure. Makes sense. Yep. Um, so you're going around the world. You're doing sub quests if you can find them. There's the main missions that are marked with an exclam- a red exclamation point on your map. You can go to those. And the other main thing that fills this world up are the, what's called Z orbs. And so you find blue Z orbs um, by water areas. You find red ones maybe in the desert. You find green ones where there's forests. And they're everywhere. I mean, it's like... Easter egg hunts where there's just like a plain field in front of you and there's just eggs fucking everywhere and you see them all. The world is just literally filled with these. Eggs so they're not fucking they're everywhere. <laughs> That's what I okay. I'm glad it, your brain went. It literally there too. put a vision in my mind of two eggs yes, like trying to hump each other. What I, That's what happened to me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we're on the same page. <laughs> Cheers. Okay, I did not describe my mental image clearly enough, but I'm glad you got what I'm saying now. That's hilarious. Uh, I know. Yeah. I knew what you meant, but the way it was phrased was great. I just see these little everywhere. eggs that only have arms and yeah. legs, but they have no faces, and then they're just like doggy style humping each other. <laughs> just eggs. But like because they're round, it doesn't quite work, and that's what's funny about that's it. That's how Humpty Dumpty got broke. Oh, oh shit. shit. You didn't fall off the Don't wall. do it against the wall. The B-sides of Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> Can we do this? No, no. Can we do this for all fairy tales? The B sides, yes. About Goldilocks in that bed. Anyway, definitely be a thing. Um. Okay. So you're grabbing Z orbs, which are not fucking eggs, and you use them to your to apply to your skill tree. So each character has a skill tree, and you share the orbs between all the characters, which is like fine. Does that mean you can kind of screw it up and like? accidentally unlock way too much on one and then not on the others i think you could if you did it wrong like i I think you could do that and that's one of the things where i don't know how many characters i'm gonna play as or i don't know how often i'm gonna play as gohan or piccolo right so i don't know should i buff him up or should i buff him up so it's kind of i'm still you know testing the waters when it comes to that but that's why you could tell you the flying mechanic is pretty cool unfortunately it doesn't feel as good as i think it should you go up or down elevate or or what's ascend descend. descend yeah uh with l1 or um lb lt or r1 r2 depending on what platform you're playing on and it feels kind of sticky like i feel like flying is one of the coolest things about dragon ball z and i wish that it felt a little better because these orbs are so like specifically placed that if you don't run directly into them, they give you a little bit of leeway. They don't stick to you. So you have to, like, run into them. So if you're flying and cruising and then you see one, you have to stop flying, like, hold down the button, and then your character kind of, like, descends. Like, 
Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's not like a super fluid because tilting. It's um, like one of those crane down, games. <laughs> to, exactly. It kind of. Yeah, that's yeah. a good way. Crane games. Instead of tilting on the right stick, you know, to change the camera angle, I think it does change the elevation of your character, but it's kind of hard to see because the camera perspective is kind of wonky. Uh, they just use that to look around and it doesn't really make your character like do the cool floaty thing anywho but it is a cool thing and it is fun to just like jump up and fly just kind of ignore all the z orbs around you because they're kind of a hassle to get um the last thing before i talk about combat is there's this mechanic oh, wait, there's more oh yeah oh this game does a lot of things that i'm they're fun it's interesting i'm just it's just anyway i think they they're trying to lean into the rpg side of it there's these things <clears throat> called soul emblems and you get these from characters iconic characters in the franchise that you meet, you do a side quest for, they give you an emblem, and then you have these things called community boards. I think there's like seven or something total, and each board is specified to a certain trait. Training, cooking, fighting, whatever, whatever. And you assign these emblems, which are just essentially a medal with a people's face on them, to each board. They buff up the board, which in turn buffs up your passive abilities. I'm looking at the video that Bandai put out a couple days ago about the overview on soul emblems while you're talking. Yeah. So like, what is she doing? I'm trying to get a visual for what you're describing. Yeah, that's kind of the easiest so way to explain like a, it. They're like a badge almost, It's right? like a badge, yeah. Like a pin of every character you meet. They are specified in certain boards. Some of them might be really good at the training board. Some might be really good at the cooking board. But you can assign them ultimately as you want to. It depends on what kind of passive buffs you want to focus on in that moment. And then to take it a, a step deeper, there are gifts that you can give to these emblems, which are essentially giving gifts to your friends. Gifts or gifts? Gifts. G-I-F-T-S. Like presents. Gift. I was presents. trying to make a, trying to make a bad joke. I was this, trying to make a bad joke, Brittany. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm, just, I'm, I'm in Brit mode right now. You give them gifts and you level up their friendship. And after a certain level of friendship, you'll get you missed it. items. I'm the worst. Buffs. It's a thing. Okay, so that's Look that. A little baby. I'm, I'm showing her the tra- as you're talking. I'm showing her this trailer with mm-hmm. the the soul emblems overview as you're talking. And so I just distract you. No, no, no. You're fine. I'm almost done. I promise. So now, fun to combat. So I'm playing on an Xbox One controller. So typically, all the fights I've done, I've been in the air. So you're flying around in true Dragon Ball Z fashion because fighting on the ground is for dummies. And true. A button is dodge. B is punch. X is your key blast, and Y is to charge your key. LB, if you hold it down, it pulls up your special move. So, like, LB plus B will be a special move. LB plus A will be another move. Um, If you have another character fighting alongside you, you can command them with RB, LT blocks. And then if you push LT and RT at the same time, you can transform into Kaioken, Super Saiyan, whatever you want to do. Again, like I was saying earlier, the combat definitely isn't a walk in the park. Is there a lock-on? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah, I saw like some weird battle in the air. I'm watching the trailer and I'm like, oof, I don't have a lock on. It's going to be a real mess. Yeah, yeah. No, there, there is a <laughs> okay. lock on. And the combat's really fun. And you know, someone who's watched a lot of the anime since I was like 10, uh, it's really cool because I see, I get to do what I've seen all my character, favorite characters do, right? And blast a Kamehameha away, block, knock him to the ground, shoot some key blasts at him. It definitely, for me, is a learning curve. I'm not used to playing games with combat like this, but it, I think it's one of the highlights of the game. It's really fun. It's really, it feels really visceral, and I'm a fan. So, TLDR. TLDR in this game. If you are a Dragon Ball Z fan, I personally think this is the best Dragon Ball Z game that's ever been made. It's fun. Wow, that's high praise. It's high praise, but 
it's not saying much because <laughs> there have hasn't been that many great Dragon Ball Z games made, unless you're into fighting, and I can't speak on those. Um, yeah, Dragon Ball Fighters had a lot of accolades when it came out, but it's such a niche genre, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. You never hear of a Dragon Ball game that you know kind of goes beyond the core anime audience because they so are hyper into the style of the anime that it doesn't ever reach mass market right that's why they need to make their game with pickles and then everyone will buy pickle fighter z mod that shit yeah Um, so while i'm saying while i said you know it's it's not saying a lot i i'm not trying to diminish how great of a game i think dragon ball Z Kakarot is. It's really fun. As a fan of the series, I'm having a really good time with it. Of course, there's just some little tidbits in there that, you know, like the lack of facial animations, the lack of choreographed cutscenes for a lot of these. Um, there's some issues where people say the same dialogue over and over again. You know how someone will be like, yeah, or let's do it. But then, like, they have three sentences of dialogue. Yeah, and you're like, shut up. Yeah, you know, you'll be, like, having a conversation with someone and three lines in, they're like, greetings. That doesn't make any sense. Whatever. We but- should talk like that more often in real life. Just greetings. throw, throw people off. No, I just mean like if we've had a conversation for like a few minutes and you just go, greetings. Like, <laughs> but we've. Wait, but, what? But we've been talking. Uh, yeah, it's okay, exactly. girl. Exactly. Yes. So you did it. Cyber mission accomplished. I did it. I confused someone. You did it. Uh, and it, yeah, it's it's a fun, fun Dragon Ball Z game. I think, um, is it perfect? No. I think when you're trying to take on an entirety of an anime series, 291 episodes, obviously you have to skimp on some of the story beats. And I understand that that's what they're going for. But I think with that just comes, you know, a risk of how great can you tell this story as a fan? I love it. It doesn't bother me really. It's, it's kind of fun because I already know what happens, but I'd be really curious. Like if you were to play a Simer, what you would think about it or you, Andrea, what you guys would think about it. But yeah, I mean, if you're looking forward to this game, if you're looking forward to this game and you have been looking forward to it, definitely pick it up and play it. It's, it's fun. And it's a really writing on a fart cloud. What? (laughs) Fart cloud. Um, there's yeah. a fart cloud in this game oh, that he neglected this. to tell me about. He's like, f- it does look like a fart cloud. Yeah, I, don't know, I don't know what he's riding on. But it's the it, flying nimbus. It's, there you go. The flying nimbus of farts. There you go. Yeah, but no, it, it's fun. I'm looking forward to continuing to play it. I hope I have enough time to, I mean, I should. She's very <laughs> proud of herself. <laughs> to finish it. And yeah. Keep going, Brittany. Keep going. No, I'm going. I think, I think I've said it. It's a fun game. It's a good game. I mean, it's not like I said, it's not going to make any critical game of the year list by a long shot, but I think it's personal game of the year. Absolutely. And that's okay. Like, I think that's fine. Awesome. <sighs> well, thank you for that very in-depth report. I got you. On, um, I-, I caught myself saying Dragon Ball instead of Dragon Ball. What? Uh, Dra- did, you guys, did I never tell the story about when I was on GameStop TV and I heard Vegeta. I was doing, yeah. Well, Vegeta was one thing, but I was doing an ad. I can't remember if it was for... Uh, it was for, for an Elder Scrolls thing where they were talking about um, dragons and then they were talking about Daggerfall and I kept saying Daggerfall. Oh, Daggerfall. <laughs> Daggerfall and I said dragon and they said, no, it's dragon. And I said, yeah, dragon. And they're like, no, it's dragon. I go, I don't understand. I'm saying dragon. You <laughs> said that I'm not saying dragon and you're saying it's dragon. And they're like, oh, I call oh, it dragon. Just, they're like, no, it's dragon and i was like it's such a small like regional difference yes but they were such sticklers on it and then i like do not sound like you are from north dakota 
No, it's funny because we we what was great about the team I worked with at at CRM Studios, the production company that did Games Have TV, and they're all like lovely, wonderful people. Um, is that we get to have a little jabs back and forth, playful jabs because they're from Texas in Texas and I'm from North Dakota. And so like, we're just from opposite ends and obviously Texas has its own regionalisms in, Mm -hmm. in dialect, um, and a variety of words. And Mm -hmm. so, um, also then when, you know, Daggerfall came up, I kept saying Daggerfall. And they're like, Daggerfall. No, oh, Daggerfall. They're like, oh, it's back to this. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> God, I'm saying it the right way. And they're like, you can't hear yourself. I was like, I hear myself. Do you hear yourself? <laughs> it was funny. You anyway, that's an aside. Let's talk about what I've been playing, which is nothing. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Since we shot the show last week, because we um, recorded late on Thursday, um, after I was done editing the show into the wee hours um britney hung in there with me she sent a tweet i think at like 2 a.m or whatever yeah like we're gonna get the show done it's gonna happen and we did um i woke up the next morning with a terrible case of uh, of bronchitis and chest congestion so um over the weekend i was sleeping a lot and taking a lot of vitamins and Generally, when I'm sick with um, something that makes me feel really sedentary, I just don't have the mental bandwidth to play anything. I like to just sit back and watch something so that way if I fall asleep, there's no pressure. There you go. Because to this day... wake up to a dead screen. (laughs) I've only fallen asleep during one video game. What was it? And it happened three times. Uh What was it? It was L.A. Noir. Oh, <laughs> shit. That's right, Rockstar. I you mean, made the most boring game. I fell asleep three times. <laughs> it, uh, it was, man, that game. I really wanted to love that game. I, I, know, I did not finish too. it. And I honestly, they lost me when he shimmied up the train pipe and dress shoes. I was like, wait, what? What? I missed like, <laughs> so, did you, Brittany, did you play L.A. Noir? I have not, no. Okay. Are you familiar with what yes. L.A. Noir is as a game? So yes. for people listening that are like, what the heck is L.A. Noir? Take a Rockstar game, like a GTA, like a Red Dead Redemption, but put it instead of playing like a, a, a badass like drug dealer or a cowboy, you're playing like a detective like a low-level detective in like what the 1930s 1940s I'm really bad at years history and that my thing <laughs> i would have to look up so that's probably not accurate let me see if i can get this yeah and so it's like open world la it's set during the time of like the black dahlia era like during mm. the black dahlia murders and you play a detective and like the whole thing is like you're in this open world with like the driving the 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 imagine gta driving but way worse mm-hmm. um and there's these mechanics where you have to like listen to people and they made such a big stink. I know this is another aside. They made such a big stink about their, their technology that they built into their animation where if you looked at the character a certain way, you could tell like where they were lying. It's like, yo dog, I appreciate the amazing technical achievements that rockstar studios globally has accomplished. I think there is no denying they have pushed the medium of video game making forward in a number of ways. But this game wasn't it, dog. It was bad. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the technology was, like, they had way more cameras on the person, like, mm. all around. And that's how they were able to, quote, unquote, capture oh, okay. the minute things that the actors might do as a tell if they were lying. Um, and so you'd have to like doubt or believe or whatever on your witnesses because you were a detective. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing, so you're running around in the open world and like you have to chase after your suspects and 
there's a metal drain pipe and he again like he climbs up it and he's wearing dress shoes he's like, like in a zoot suit yeah i mean it's in 1947 is when the game is set Yes. So the, yeah. the dress shoes and the drain pipe, I was like, I can't, I can't. I That's can't. it. And there, and there was a time when I was driving with my partner in the car and my partner in like true NPC fashion was like telling me a story. And here's me like running into a telephone pole, <laughs> running into a mailbox. The door falls off my car. I'm, I'm just like, and my partner is just like, He's da, like da, 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 da. but just did you hear on. about this? And I'm like, dude, we just do not break stride be like man you're a bad driver oh my god oh god yeah so the, <laughs> the game lost me from that alone which is maybe a stupid reason but i was i, just, I think you're probably just looking for a reason but you it didn't just know it. broke me completely to look at yeah because you know you guys both know me yeah i'm a weird logic freak like I, yeah. if something just breaks the bounds of reality i can't deal with it if anybody is a bigger well actually glasses <laughs> pusher upper than me it's steimer yes <laughs> yes you and i are very similar in this regard <laughs> Um, it's interesting. I've been meaning to check this out, like on the Switch port that they did. Because when mm-hmm. I when they announced that they were porting this to Switch, I was like, "Lol, lol, lol." <laughs> this game had so many problems on console. Why are you porting it to Switch? Um, but I would like Try to see if they've been able to they've been able to fix it. But I think like this, like not to like be shitting on the game totally because I think it had the makings or something some really amazing. Yeah, some interesting the narrative technology, stuff, yeah, the narrative, good. the way like the. The concept was definitely there. Execution. Execution. Lack. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> Much like pizza rolls. <laughs> oh. Well, L.A. Noir is like pizza LA rolls. L.A. Noir is the pizza rolls of the industry. Yeah. Yes. They're so close to perfection, but just missed it. Burn in your mouth. Just a little bit. <laughs> Instead, you're like days later going, why did I do that to myself? Well, the roof of my mouth still hurts. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good show. Okay, so. Back to where I was at. <laughs> video games and being sick. Yes. I, I can't Ugh. actively play a video game when I'm sick generally. So I was sitting on my couch, like getting up every couple of hours to get water and take more medicine. To go water. And I decided to finally start watching The Expanse. So I had tweeted out, you guys may have seen, and I was like, hey, friends. I've seen Watchmen. I've seen all of the Mandalorian. I've seen all of what's the other big the Witcher? Series? The Witcher, all great. If you haven't seen any of those series, please watch them. They're all fantastic. And I was like, "What's next? What should I watch?" And then so many of you came out in droves. But I do want to give a special shout out to one Benjamin Thirteen for being like the big expanse cheerleader to be like, "Watch this show." So I said, "Okay," and it's honestly crazy for me that I I didn't get to it sooner because I love sci-fi I love sci-fi stuff and so I I booted it up it is you can watch the first um you can watch all of the episodes now on Amazon Prime video but it originally started on sci-fi and then Amazon Prime came in and saved it because then sci-fi I believe had canceled it and oh my gosh I cannot believe I missed this show so I'm through the first season I'm into the first episode of the second season they now are on season four i think season four just wrapped but this show is the mass effect series you've always wanted oh what that is a pitch if i've ever heard one so i'm clenching i'm so excited. so so hear me out so there's a couple of th- key mass effect things it's missing first and foremost sex. it's there isn't a, there isn't enough sex that's okay. true we both said sex 
There's like a, there's one really epic sex scene where they're have they're, where they're like fucking in low gravity and they're both naked and I was like Whoa. where they're like floating and fucking I was like okay that would props. be that's like really that would be difficult it's you have to be very to strong when gravity is like yeah you need the well, gravity I mean, they both to, like, they both propel. are very muscly like okay. the people mm. in the scene like okay. they're very fit they would have how to do you be. do um, th- oh, okay anyway. be like come back you're floating away yeah Listen, you know what connected, let your imagination run wild with how it works but. The thing that's really missing is um, the alien, the alien piece. Mm. So, like, I think that's where Marvel and Star Wars both, both excel in creating these alien characters that interact with human characters, and that feels like very natural. One has reach and flexibility. There's, yes, it's, oh, oh, oh! I love that. That's that was good, girl. Reference. That was good. Um, <laughs> everyone's gonna be like, "What?" It's okay. No, everyone's gonna be like, "Yeah, Garrus." Yeah. Um, so there's no aliens. At least not yet. Mm. Um, I, I'm again only in season one, and I'm going to try to keep this as spoiler free as possible. Even though at this point, season one is kind of like old history, uh. but I've been really enjoying it because it feels like it kind of scratches that team based. This is our ship. This is our dynamic. We have this big scary threat that we have to fight against and we have to work together to figure out what to do. We go to all these different stations, these different planets, hmm. and. There's all of these, like, you know, the sci-fi science around, like, traveling in deep space and all of that. And, like, the the cast is really well um, casted, even though a lot of them are unknowns. There's a couple of faces that you'll recognize. But the writing is really is really well done. The, the effects are really well done. Like, I can't believe this went under the radar for so long. And I, I've heard people talk about The Expanse, but I haven't seen The Expanse get any award recognition, like, at all. I guess I could look at its history and see exactly what it's been nominated for, but I haven't really seen it been winning awards. And that's the crazy part. Cause like you take an, a TV series like Fleabag, which the v- vast majority of people <laughs> Brittany, have never heard of. I love you so much. But Brittany you know, doesn't I know, watch TV. No, but I don't know what the fuck it is either. So Brittany and I just like, we're like, what? Like I just, I like it when we have these moments, even though we're technically thousands of miles away from each other. We had that moment. I saw you look at me. Yeah. Saw you looking I, for me. Fleabag cleaned like, house at the Emmys. Like they just like. I watched the Emmys. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, Brittany and I are like. Emmy as if we were watching. Couldn't that. be bothered about pop culture. That's fine. Um, so they won a People's Choice Award. Uh, the Expanse did for um, female TV star of the year. No, for fan favorite for favorite sci-fi fantasy show. Um, so I've been watching it and it's great. And like, I like the pacing. I think that they did a really good job of building these characters and really incorporating a lot of like, kind of like deep nerdy science talk that sci-fi fans are really excited about. And I'm excited to actually in the black holes world. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how accurate it is because, like, that's like one of the downfalls of Star Wars, right? Is that like, all the nerds are like, well, actually, if you were going to go to the Force, uh, is technically uh, a, yeah. I don't know, a bunch of little things. Mitochondrians, whatever. Uh, yes, yes, that's um, the thing. I was like, what's the fucking name of the things? So I don't, I know that, like, that's a big ding against Star Wars, but I'm like, yo, it's cinema, it's movies, yeah, it's, it's fake. fake. It's fake. Get over it. Um, Enjoy your life. I don't know how accurate, you know, the expanse is. I don't care. You're not, like, getting out of <laughs> real talk. Don't give a shit. You're not like getting out the Google. I'm here. Like, I'm, I'm going to Google every single term that they use and no. see if it's so correct. So you can, well, actually, someone. Yeah. 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 But I've been really enjoying it, and I would encourage you, if you like sci-fi stuff, if you enjoy video games like Mass Effect, 
or any other science fi science fi sci fi. I like taste. it. <laughs> a new term by Andrew Renoy, science fi. Science fi. Science fi. It's our new show, science fi. Um, if you are interested in that kind of things and you have also like me been dragging your feet on playing or excuse me, watching the expanse. I drag your feet it. no more. Fly yes. into space and low hit gravity. That, hit that zero G's. And Is fuck. Sure. Yeah. I mean, listen, if you've got a partner that knows how to fucking zero gravity, like, there's only one. You've got one life to live. Do your thing. I would love to deep dive that with you. I get it. Get it? (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Just just the schematics of all that and how it would work. That would be. I mean, it would be fine. This is not that show. The point is catching each other. (laughs) First part. Yes. You probably want to, like, have, like, physical contact before the gravity goes away. Because otherwise, otherwise, you're like, what? That might be challenging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. I've never been in a zero gravity environment, so I couldn't say. Same. Make your stomach <laughs> flip. Have you ever been on a roller coaster? That's a little bit of zero G. Summer, I'm excited for you to drop some like actual IRL yes. knowledge on our I asses. You. You're excited for me to what? Drop some IRL knowledge on our asses. Oh. I saw you tweet, or was it Instagram story this it was book? Instagram, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, this is a different book, though, isn't it? Than what you were Instagramming? I've read a couple books already this year. You Instagrammed okay. this one though, right? You said everyone should yes. read this? Yes, I said everyone should okay, read this Okay, so maybe it's because I just saw your... So you posted in your stories that you started The Wise Man's Fear by Correct. Patrick Rothfuss. Because I had which just... Which is one of my missed. favorite books of all time. This one, not the first one. So the first book the uh, name is of the, wind. the Name of the Wind. I'm with you. It's slow for like the t- first 250 pages. I was more of like... So here are my issues with Name of the Wind. All right, we have transitioned into book hour, everybody, by the way. So just strap on your pants. Um, we, My issues with it were mostly that, like, there were zero... I felt like the story had zero stakes because most of that is told in the past. And, like, when he is young and at school, I'm like... It's all well, flashbacks, right? Yeah, it's all flashbacks. I'm like, well, I know you're not... Like, you're in danger here, but, like, you're not really... You're not going to die because you're sitting here telling me the story. Mm. So I care, I care, but to what degree do I care? Do I need this much detail? Uh, like shorten it it's fine um learn to be succinct yes i think that was kind of my main issue with it i was like more interested in like what's happening now with you but then you don't really get that at all in the first book and i also like i actually feel this way about most main characters so it's not a super knock on him but i'm like okay you're a little dull and like oh i can just do everything great and like there's you know, multiple scenarios that I'm in that are so conveniently solved because I was once a bard. And you're like, okay, well, mm. ah, sure. Um, but so those are the kind of things that, for the most part, I found it it was well written. I didn't hate my time reading it. I just wasn't <laughs> over the moon like so many people seem to be. And so when I posted on my Instagram stories, like, I didn't love this book. They were like, I can't. How did you not love this book? Oh. How did you not love Name of the Wind? Oh. And I'm like, I don't. Because I didn't, I didn't say it was terrible. I don't think it's a yeah. terrible book. I think it's worth a read, but I don't think it is the greatest piece of literature of all time. So yeah. just That's all I'm to take a brief pause for people who are like all the way confused oh, about yeah, what's sorry, happening in this friends. conversation. So Patrick Rothfuss is the author of this book series called The King Killer Chronicles. There are currently two books that have been published. We've got The Name of the Wind and... The Wise Man's Fear. So in the first book, um, this I'm just reading from Wikipedia, the Kingkiller Chronicle takes place in the fictional world of Temerant, a large continent of which the known part called the Four Corners of Civilization is divided into several distinct nations and cultures. 
Much of the world follows a similar religion, though not identical, to medieval Christianity. Coexisting alongside the mortal world is the realm of the Fae, a parallel universe inhabited by supernatural creatures which can move between the two realms only when the moon is full. Magic exists in Tamaran too, but obeys a well-defined set of rules and principles that can only be exploited by those who have trained in professional and scientific use. And I'm just going to read a little bit more. I was like, please don't tell me you're reading the entire thing. No, no, I'm not going to read the entire thing. I don't want to read like the backstory. I'm trying to get to where we talk about naming. And, and I always like read these names wrong. So like there's like a whole internet subculture about how you say um, Kvothe's name. And like oh. Patrick did. I watched Patrick Rothfuss PAX East panel on it or PAX West it's panel a weird on it like spell. two so it's years K-V-O-T-H-E. ago. It's K-V-O-T-H-E. Yeah, so, he's the he's so he's the main character. He or begins, coat, or how do you say it? how do you say the other version he goes by? It's K O T E. Oh, coat. Yeah, this is. Um, I don't know how to pronounce any of these names because it's a fucking book. So I just read it and I make it up as I go. In your head, that, you have it. Yeah, I get it. So I really, I literally just googled how to pronounce. Let's see what she says. Oh my god! No, why I don't. This, why is this a twenty-three second video? Kavoth. 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 Kavoth, dear friends. Um, so, yeah. Anyways. He's the center of the story, and we start to learn throughout both of these books that he is a very extremely talented, extraordinary, and potentially magical individual, and that his story kind of unfolds as to, like, where he gets his experience from, and and it's like it's just so fascinating because he starts out in this super super dark place almost like he's gonna have ptsd for like the rest of his life and like how he overcomes that and how he goes out into the world and like stays and embeds himself with different cultures and different kinds of people and educates himself and is going to university and then is going out into the world and and learning these different things from different people and there's like the layers upon layers upon layers of narrative devices that are built into the story cannot be overstated. Like Patrick Rothfuss is a genius writer. And every time you go back and reread the books, you pick up new things and you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe I didn't see that the first time. And that is just a testament to his writing ability and i just i love the series so much and i'm so glad that you're reading it because the wise man's fear is head and shoulders above the name of the wind i am happy to hear that yeah and i uh, somebody else um <laughs> ping, like pinged me on twitter and was like i saw your instagram story why didn't you like it and i kind of explained and they mm-hmm. were like well i think you'll really like wise man's fear then actually because it delves a lot more into the current timeline you feel a little bit more like there are stakes to be had you're more involved and I'm like okay that Cool. I'm interested in down. There's not a bunch of weird flashbacks. There's yeah. still some, but not oh, as many. Yeah. Which is what I was like, okay. <laughs> the whole story's a flashback. Please stop. Uh, <laughs> but so this is a book that I've picked up after reading the book that Brittany is talking mm. about. Um, so I obviously hop back and forth between fantasy and <laughs> reality. Uh, the le- This book that I'm talking about is a psychology book. So it's called Give and Take. And it was written by... Adam Grant, who has also written a book called Originals. I haven't read that yet. He is an American psychologist and author, and he is a professor at Wharton School of University of Pennsylvania. Um, And he specializes in organizational psychology, which makes sense. So Give and Take is a book that is all about 
how we behave as human beings in mostly employment structures. Mm-hmm. So if there are three different types of people, there are takers, which I'm sure you all can very easily pick out someone that you've ever known that was a taker in your workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people kind of float between matcher and giver. Um, matcher obviously is, is pretty much, I mean, they all basically are what they sound like. Matcher is like, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Um, very much a transactional sort of uh, relationship with people in the workplace. And then givers are people who don't necessarily consider themselves at all and are all more about the greater good and are constantly giving. So I will pose a question to you two ladies of when you're looking at a success bell graph, if you will, um, who do you think is at the lowest end of the spectrum? So we're doing specifically a bell graph or whatever, just in terms of, of su- su- like being a success and being a failure, who's at the bottom end? Who's at the top? Who would you say of those three groups? I would say mm. that takers are probably at the top of the success chain and that givers are at the bottom because they give everything away and that they don't take for themselves they're not selfish i'm gonna be an ass i'm gonna say matcher matchers was that it is probably at the end because a lot of people don't want to scratch your back so you're not going to scratch their back okay what but who do you think's at the top Britt? oh um the takers give me both ends takers okay what would you do okay so the actual answer is givers on both. Oh. So givers are the type of people okay. who both succeed hmm. the most and have the most potential to do extremely well. And they also have the most potential to completely fail. And it's all about the way you give and the way you choose to spend your time. Um, so like it, the book really dives into this is why I found the book so fascinating because it really kind of opens out on that. And you're like, wait, what? Oh, no, because <laughs> I had the same thought. I was like, takers are obviously at the top because they're a bunch of assholes and they just will, you know, strip the land dry if it mm-hmm. gives them what they want. Um, but so it's really been fascinating to read this book and see all of the different ways in which takers tend to trip and fail on themselves because other people can sniff them out and they're like, uh-huh. hmm. mm-hmm. no, no, no. You can only no. go it alone for so you long. You can only do, you can only be a taker for so long before you have to become a faker. Uh, oh. And mm. yeah, so the book gets into that too. It's been, it was just so interesting to read all the different studies done and all the different types of businesses, because even if you think, okay, well maybe a, being a giver will work in X business, it definitely won't work in this business. Not true. They've done studies on all types of businesses, all walks of life, all, um, you know, like executive level to like lower level. And so I'll just share a couple of the things with you. Obviously, I think the book is a total gem and you should pick it up and read it or mm-hmm. listen to it or however you want to consume it. Um, it's uh, there's multiple ways. So like so a, being a giver, if you are a selfless giver is means you will probably end up at the bottom of the barrel, right? Like you are so just concerned about helping everybody. You're not really thinking about yourself. The really successful givers, the people who become CEOs or become like billionaires are called otherish givers. And they're mm. still very giving and their goal is is noble in a sense, but it's also selfish in a way. It's a it's mm. a weird sort of selfish giving where you're like, I have a goal in mind and I have standards in mind, but the end goal is usually about the greater good than myself. Mm. Um, but it's sort That's of good. like an interesting parallel. So or not parallel, but it's just an interesting uh mm-hmm. dynamic between those those two things. And 
Um, then there was like also other studies of like the happiest you can really be is if it's uh, doing at least a hundred hours of community service a year of volunteer service. A hundred hours is like the sweet spot of you will feel head and shoulders above like anything you've ever felt before like or whatever. And like, I was like, shit, maybe I should start volunteering. It's like the people who did that level have reported like way higher numbers of happiness. And obviously it needs to be volunteering to a cause you actually believe in, like you feel like you are impacting because it can be a draining effect if you feel the opposite. So it, it, giving is a very interesting thing in that um, there was one st- or one person in particular that I found really interesting. It was like a teacher's across America. I can't remember the exact name of the, gor- the org, but basically teachers who give back to underprivileged communities. And this one girl was there like trying to crack at it. And her day job was really hard and really taxing. But and and it's because she felt like she wasn't making a difference. And so she was just working all of the time and just feel like she was burning out. And at the book, it's like, well, you know, what should she do? Should she take more time for herself or what? And then uh, it's like, well, no, actually, what she did, she gave more. But she gave more very specifically. Mm. She gave more. She opened up her own chapters of uh, mentoring specific people or uh, there was a, a mentorship program she did and another one that I can't remember off the top of my head. But she basically started two more foundations. But those things made her feel like she had an impact and that she was doing good and it fueled her mm-hmm. and it made her feel so much better about the work she was doing at her school, her regular day job that even that started to improve. So it's just like, man, it's so interesting to think how we always talk about how, you know, you need to make, take, take time for yourself and self care and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, are we all wrong? Like is, or, you know, or maybe not totally wrong, but like, should we actually be looking at, ways to give back even more to like mm-hmm. to help fuel our ourselves and our like that little that little fire that we have mm-hmm. inside all of us like maybe the key is actually just giving back maybe it's not uh constantly worrying about yourself and and how you're recharging because giving back does tend to recharge you is a lot of what these studies found um but again it has to be something that you are very passionate about mm-hmm. it has to be something you believe in it has to be something that you feel you are impacting it can't Those, be like a forced giving. Yeah. Correct. It can't feel like an obligation. It needs to feel like something that you are empowered to do. Yes. And then the other interesting thing um, was like if you do, if you're like, hey, yeah, maybe I should volunteer this year or whatever. Um, they also found like if you do sprinkle giving is what they call it. Don't don't bother. <laughs> do chunking giving. So like if you're going to do a volunteer day, make it a day. Be like, okay, if I volunteer, I'm volunteering at this shelter for six hours on a Saturday and that's what I do. Uh, but if you're like, well, I'll do a little, like an hour here, an hour there or whatever. No, the benefits are not the same actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you will not get the the benefit of feeling recharged or happy or, or any of that. It will just feel like it becomes part of your day to day. I mean, tasks. an hour you can easily pass just scrolling through Twitter or Instagram, right? Like, so that's why true. I mean, like that's like real talk. Like, is yeah. it when you're talking about having a meaningful impact on your psyche, like an hour feels like nothing, you know, it's like you might as well have just been working out. You'll get more, you know, positive health benefits um, than potentially volunteering. So I think this is really interesting. So who's the author of this book? Adam Grant. Adam mm. Grant. And it's called Give and Take. Give and Take. And he also, I need to read the next book he wrote. It's called Originals, but I have not read that yet. That's well, can I borrow this when you're done with it? Yeah, I'm already done. Oh, will you bring it next time I see you? Yeah. Excellent. Yes. 
That's cool. I need to get more into nonfiction. So you guys have heard me say on the show many times that like I don't read nonfiction. Just straight up don't like it. Don't read it. Not my thing. But I'm realizing as I get older, you know what? Wise people have wise things to say. And maybe I should listen or read them. I've always found psychology books really interesting. Um, so if I'm being ta- like, you must read a nonfiction, I'm going to go psychology because I just <laughs> find our brains fascinating. That's what I, I read a couple years ago, like the confidence game, which is all about con men and how they get away with the things that they get away with. Who, who like if you are a special, if you specialize in finance or something, you are actually more likely to be conned in that field than anything else <laughs> because you have the belief that you will not be. Therefore, you are already susceptible um, so it's just like fascinating little things like that where you're like, what, wait, what <laughs> is interesting. Um, I always find it really interesting because I think we as humans are really fucked up, uh, but, but in a cool way. Um, and then there's all the, another author that I will recommend to you after because I don't remember the name. I don't want to look it up, but I uh, threw out the devil in the white city, I think. And so those are like historical, but the way that they're written, I find history books really boring usually most of the time. But I found The Devil in the White City to be fascinating. And he's got a couple other books um, that I'm also putting down. Or not also putting putting down on my list. Finish that sentence. Uh, and I had sort of a similar thing with you where I was in a in a set a mindset of like, I'm just going to read these fantasy books. And yes, fantasy books are great. But, um, you know, at one point I did really like to learn. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's awesome. I feel like I maybe like- bringing that back and like picking up some more science books maybe yeah. just I love hearing I about some... these things you're reading it's fascinating and it makes me want to pick up stuff too I mean I've talked about my reading and it's mostly zombie books but even those lately I'm like eh. but when you talk about these kind of things I feel like that would be a really good way to spend time learning yeah. about the human brain I started reading the subtle art of not giving a fuck and I remember that was really good but then I stopped because probably video games but I should pick that back up well, it's interesting. So I tried to read this. I bought this book last year at some point, like mm-hmm. middle of the year or beginning of the year. Um, and I tried to start reading it. And I don't think my brain was like exercised enough in reading anymore to have. Re- I wasn't paid, uh, I wasn't wasn't sticking. Sure. Yeah. But then I got into a habit of reading more. And now you know, a lot of that stuff was fantasy. And now I find myself much more capable again, like what I used to be, where I could read a bunch of other subjects and, you know, I don't want to say not break a sweat because that sounds weird, but kind of, you know, like your, your brain is like, ah, yes, yeah, I yeah. have exercised this muscle. It is good now and mm-hmm. you can go forth and not really worry about it. So that is my, I don't know, challenge to all of you. Not a challenge. That sounds aggressive. It's not aggressive. I like it. It's, it's a an challenge. inspiration. It's, it's, a, sure. it's a call to action potentially about making yourself a better human by gleaning some wisdom from other humans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was very, yes, very well put, Andrea. Thank you. There you go. Um, well, I love that this week's What You've Been Playing has been a little bit Unique, and I encourage all of us to maybe spend time with other mediums, even though this is obviously a video game show and always will be. I think that it's okay to acknowledge that we have other interests, and hopefully you guys enjoyed us talking about TV, books, and video games this week. Pickle dicks. Well, you know, we always got Piccolo with his weird, like, cowl cape thing. Now we just need to put some eyes on it, and it'll be fun. Little googly eyes. Exactly. Seriously, googly eyes is the best thing you could have said right now. 
Okay. That's going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for tuning into the What's Good Games podcast. As a reminder, if you want to help support the show, you can always go to patreon.com slash what's good games. We have memberships as low as just $2 a month. If that's just too many dollars for you, head to your favorite podcast platform and give us a five-star review with a little note. That helps us out just as much. We love you guys. Thank you so much. And we'll be back next week. 